This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Wednesday. It's Christmas next week. I know, isn't it exciting? I'm exhausted. I had, uh, for the first time ever, and I know, I said this to a friend of mine last night, and he said, what is it, 1973? For the first time ever, I looked after both of the boys, both of the boys, on my own, completely. Feeding them, putting them to bed, everything. It was fun. It was fun until one of them fell over in the bath. And then there was blood everywhere, and the baby was screaming, and then the other one was screaming, and it was, that bit, that bit wasn't fun. Uh, but, it, but around that bit, it was fun. It, it was exhausting. I didn't really get much sleep. And then they both fell, they, boys, they both fell asleep, naked, just holding on to their ding-dangs. Just lying there like that. <laughs> and I looked down and thought, yeah, these are my boys. Morning, lots coming up on... Merry Christmas. Lots coming up on the show this morning, including... Find out why police in Hertfordshire are issuing a warning against using illegal drugs in the run-up to Christmas. We have an exclusive investigation into how many parents in beds, hearts and bucks wanted information about people with access to their children. And have you heard... Have you heard any carol singers? No one... No one's carol singing this year. You're not seeing them in shopping centres. You're not seeing them out and about. You're certainly... When was the last time a group of carol singers knocked on your door and started singing? And it's always embarrassing. It's always awkward. I remember once it was just some lad, some 16-year-old lad knocked on the door. And it was me and it was him just looking at each other and he was singing to me. It was so awkward for both of us. And I would have given him a fiver to go away. He wouldn't stop, though. He did three songs. Imagine a boy knocking on the door and singing three songs to you. And you're going, yep, that's great. Thanks very much. (laughs) It was awkward. Well, don't worry. Carol singers are out and about. We've sent Justin Dealey, our carol singing correspondent. He's going to be spreading joy in the three counties later on this morning. He could... You better get ready. He may be coming to your town. 08459 455 555. You can text us as well, 81333, start your text 3CR, or go to the Facebook page and have a right old Barney with people. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, coming up in around 15 minutes, we'll have more on our top story uh, today. An exclusive BBC Three Counties investigation has revealed how many applications have been made for information under Sarah's law since it came into force. This law allows parents to ask it, uh, police if someone with regular, unsupervised access to their kids has a record for child sex offences. But before that, in 2010, there were five deaths in the UK related to ecstasy-type drugs. In the last month, two 21-year-olds have died after it's believed they took the drug in the three counties. The deaths has prompted the police in Hertfordshire to issue a warning against using illegal drugs in the run-up to Christmas. Our reporter Jessica Cooper can tell us more on this. Good morning, Jessica. Good morning. What do we know about what happened to these two men? Well, these were two different incidents, but they're linked because both of the men were 21 and it's thought they both took the drug ecstasy in Hertfordshire. One of the men lived in Aylesbury and died a week ago today, and the other man died in hospital on the 29th of November. We know a bit more about him. He was called Wills Layton and his family have paid tribute to him in a statement they said he had lots of friends he was popular he loved going out socializing and he would be the the kind of guy who would always help a friend in need he grew up in and lived in Watford and he'd studied mechanics at college now the police say that it is early days the early indications suggest that they may have taken um, the ecstasy drug both of the men but they are awaiting the toxicology and the other tests so we can't categorically say they died because of the drug it could technically be something else but they do believe they've taken it for, for those who don't know what is MDMA 
Well, MDMA is the chemical in ecstasy. Ecstasy is the street name of the Class A drug. Um, and it can come in different forms, powder or pills. Some of the effects include making people feel very alert and happy. But it can lead to an increased heart rate and raised blood pressure. And it interferes with the body's fluid control. So it's easy to feel very thirsty and drink too much and, as a result, overhydrate and ultimately could drown the body. Um, Some figures to tell you, the most recent report from 2010 shows that there were five deaths that year related to ecstasy-type drugs. Although, as I say, usually it's not that it's just one thing to blame, so it's not just ecstasy. It could have been mixed with alcohol or different things. Um, But that is quite a sharp drop down from a few years beforehand in 2007 when there were 71 deaths. And this report from the National Programme Substance Abuse Deaths suggests that that drop might be down to the growing number of uh, people using legal highs. Um, But the number of deaths is extremely small in comparison to the number of people who take the drug. Um, The Crime Survey for 2011 and and 12 shows that 220,000 16 to 24-year-olds had taken ecstasy in the last year. Um, And of course, the problems come when people are taking the drug they're not sure how pure it is and also it affects people differently and you spoke to someone recently who'd taken the drug for the first time yes um i came across a 19 year old man recently who was quite open and wanted to talk to me about the fact that he'd taken it for the first time that night he was quite worried um or had been quite worried during the night about the effects and overall though he said he didn't regret taking it so the lab we're about to hear now is he on it when you're talking to him yeah right let's have a listen I've taken MDMA because um, it's sort of nice party drug and it gets very happy and, you know, dancing and moving. So that's why I've taken it. I did get a little bit worried, wor- wor- sorry, once I started to um, feel the proper effects of it because it is a little bit worrying. You know, the fact that my blood pressure started to slow down but my heart started to beat faster and I wanted to move. It was very, very funny and funny feelings and different things going on in my body. So do you regret doing that then? Not fully, but there is part of me that regrets doing it, yeah. Mainly a part that I didn't know what was going to happen and yeah. funny things have happened to me. I wouldn't, say, like I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I fully regret doing it because I'm quite happy. And that was at the point um, for him when his night was still continuing. So he, he said he'd taken it to have a, a better time yeah. and he wasn't fully regretting taking it. Apart from having a dry mouth, he sounds like he's, he's, he's having a good time there. Yeah, he was, although he had uh, a little while earlier been quite worried about how his yeah. body was reacting, mm. um, but that's because he'd taken it for the first time. Um, as I say, everybody does react to it differently. It depends what, what type, um, how pure the drug was, but the police are saying following these two recent deaths within such a short space of time in Hertfordshire that they are urging people not to take the drug when they're out and about over Christmas. OK, thank you very much, Jessica. And uh, later on, we'll hear from a drugs expert and a Milton Keynes man who used to take the drug. Morning, Inley, BB. BBC Three Counties Radio, Carol Singers, when was the last time? Can you give me a call if in the last, let's say, the last five years, you've had Carol Singers knocking on your door? They don't do it anymore. They're a dying breed. And let's be honest, the ones that knock on the door, they're, you know, they're a bit rubbish. Really, they are. They're they're, they're not very good, but they're keen. And uh, I, I think you have to applaud and support that. If you have had carol singers knocking on your door in the last five years, or you indeed are a carol singer that's gone around from door to door, could you give me a call? 08459. We've got a couple of lines free now. 08459. 455. 555. We get the trick-or-treaters. We get that nonsense. We get the, we get the charity, the chuggers... The chuggers come knocking on your door now. 
So not only can you not walk down the high street, you can't be in your house. They come knocking on the door. But we don't get the good old-fashioned British... I don't know if it is a British tradition, let's assume it is. The good old-fashioned British carol singers. 08459 455 555. Justin Dealey is out and about. He is writing this wrong today. So you might get a knock on your front door really early. Sorry about that. Come on, it's the monkeys. BBC Three Counties Radio. We're having an argument here about handball. But the, uh, yesterday the story was that the, 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 the funding for handball had been doubled from 0.6 million to 1.2 million. The news is today, ah, they've scrapped it all. And I'm kind of going, yeah, and why, why should handball, which is a sport that you've only heard of because of the Olympics, basically you stand there, it's like football, but here's the twist, you use your hands. Yeah, and so you throw a ball at each other, right? Why should that sport that we're not very good at and no one's ever heard of, and is probably American, why should that get any money from Sport GB or whatever it is? Which I'm guessing that money comes from taxes. I'm guessing. I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm sort of just making things up here to, to back up my rather weak argument. Why should it? Libraries are being shut. Hospitals are being shut. Why should handball get any money? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. If you can phone in and defend handball, and also back me up on this again, we another argument with my producer Laura. Ping pong's not a sport, is it? Ping pong. It's called ping pong. It's not a sport. It's not a sport. So you have a tiny table, a little ball that you give to your cat, and you. It is called ping pong. Being told it's not called ping pong. It is called ping pong. Oh, with table tennis. It's not tennis, is it? Tennis is a big yellow bouncy ball. Ping pong is not a sport. Cut the funding for that. Get rid of it completely. And handball, what, what, do, you need f- what do you need funding for? You've got to buy a ball. OK, what's that, f- a fiver? Where, oh, we've got nowhere to practice. Go, go, go and use a field. Use someone's back garden. Ping pong and handball, not sports. Not proper sports. Not like darts and snooker. 08459 555. Now, this is, uh, this is fascinating. Figures obtained by BBC Three Counties Radio show that there have been 266 applications across beds, hearts and bucks for information under Sarah's law since it came into force. This law allows parents to ask police if someone with regular, unsupervised access to their children has a record for child sex offences. As a result of these applications, police have informed 42 families that their children are at risk. Now, you may remember that this uh, process was made possible after campaigning by Sarah Payne, the mother of uh, eight-year-old daughter Sarah Payne, who was murdered by a convicted sex offender in 2000. David Tucker from Hertfordshire is Associate Head of Strategy and Development at the NSPCC. Good morning, David. Good morning. 42 families. It's quite a significant number. This must mean children in the three counties are uh, at less risk as a result of Sarah's law. Is that right? Um... Yeah, I mean, I think it's very difficult to make that assessment, but, um, yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's allowed families who've got caring responsibilities to be informed about people who may pose a risk to their children, yeah, so uh, I think that's ca- a good thing. What kind of th- 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 people are the parents inquiring about? It's, it can't be people that work with children, because they would have to be CRB checked anyway, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the important thing, because some people might think, actually, these figures are quite low. 
But if you think of the structures that, that are in place, if, if there's a person who, who is working, say teachers, um, people in scouts, organisations, guides, all of those things, yes, you're right, all of those people would be, part, would be undertaking routine checks, employment checks, um, and CRB, enhanced CRB checks, to make sure that they don't have any criminal records for these sorts of things. So it's a, and then this, this group under SARA's law are quite separate lot, people who might have access to your children. For example, um, if, if your partner, you know, if, you're, if you had been in a relationship, your relationship's broken down and your ex-partner has a new partner, um, sometimes the, the um, ex-partner may, um, may make allegations like that and then the police can, can look, into the, look into those circumstances. See, I find that fascinating. I, I can't imagine being, getting a new partner and, uh, you know, kind of falling in love and wanting to be with them, but also thinking, hmm, I, I wonder, I'm going to go to the police and just make sure that they're not a child sex offender. That seems a strange position to be in, doesn't it? Yeah, but um, I, you'll notice I said it was the it was the ex partner, and I was thinking the ex partner, sorry, the yes, the one who's not there. Yeah, <laughs> and often you know this is, and often it's malicious. You know, um, people, uh, you know, when when relationships break down, it isn't always uh, it isn't always wonderful, and, um, and so people in those circumstances, those those allegations can be made. And the interesting thing about this is that the disclosure is not always made to the person who makes the application. Oh, really? How does it, yeah. Where does it go, then? Well, it will go to the person who's actually got the caring responsibility for the child. Ah. So, so, if, so if somebody, you know, if somebody's thinking, aha, I'll cause my, you know, I'll cause my ex-partner a bit of aggravation here, actually, the, the police would go and speak to the person concerned who's making the application or seeking to make the application and say, now, why do you want to make it? Actually, you don't have a, a continuing um, caring responsibility for that child now because your relationship's um, broken down and the child's with the other parent. So, um, so actually, either we're not going to even look into this because you've got no grounds to do so, or we will look into it, but we're not going to make the disclosure to you. So that's a. So that, I think that's a good thing. Mm. Um, I think for people who do have um, concerns about people who, who are having access to the children outside of that um, employment type relationship, you know, it's um, it's a it's a good thing and it gives them an opportunity. Um, and for those people who who may observe things happening, you know, there's all this stuff about Savile at the moment, and and it puts sort of sex sex abuse of children right up there in people's minds. Mm. We're often informed and encouraged to report things, you know, go and if you've got a doubt, go and report it. Well, actually, you know, as, as members of the public, people aren't used to seeing that and making that judgment. And, and so sometimes you need a bit of help about making that decision. And it's just a sort of a plug, really, for our helpline that, that there are people there who can help you to make that decision about whether what you've seen is suspicious or not. So if you're in that position where you've seen something suspicious, I would ask, you know, you consider phoning the helpline on 0808 800 5000. There are people there who can help you to come to those decisions about how you best protect children who you may not have any connection with, yeah. but you've seen something suspicious, but you don't know whether it's, it is really suspicious or whether it's just normal behaviour. There's people out there who can, you know, there's, there are services offered by the NSPCC and others who can give you some help to make that decision. How successful has Sarah's law been nationally, David? The, uh, the, um, the Home Office released figures um, on the first full year of operation across all forces. So this came into force in April 2011. Mm. So the first full year of, um, of operation was April 2011, April 2012. In that time, there were 1,600 um, initial inquiries 
900 of those went on to become a, uh, a full, um, a full uh, uh, investigation by the police. And following that, 160 um, uh, disclosures around sex offences and 58 around other offences. So um, the Home Secretary said over 200 children have been... Um, have been protected by this. And when you say, and I don't want to go obviously too much detail this time in the morning, when you say sex offences, does that specifically mean child sex offences? Because obviously sex offences is quite a wide spectrum, isn't it? It is, and no, it doesn't. It right. means um, it, it could be could be sex offences against adults, yep. and there is, you know, as you said, there's there's a very large, very wide range of of, of offences which uh, which could be covered under that. So, and, and I think the interesting thing here is that the reason that the, the law was done in this way in this country, and it was what the NSPCC um, campaigned for, was that there's a balance that you have to take into account with, with the sex offenders themselves. That what we, what we didn't want to see was something that could be like a witch hunt. Mm. So people being able to say, are there any sex offenders in this street? Give me their address. We didn't want that system because it would have meant that those individuals could have been um, could have been targeted. Oh, well, we saw what happened a few years ago, didn't we? When the newspaper listed people's names and it all kicked yeah. off and was horrible, and the paediatrician yeah. got beaten up or something. That, that's right. Yeah. So, so we didn't want to see that. We wanted to see it much more targeted in the, and in the way that Sarah's law has done that. So if you feel that you, you know, if you have a, a caring responsibility for a child, then you will get that disclosure. Um, and we thought that that was, we think that's a, that's a good thing. And the evaluation that was taken place in April 2012, so after the first full year, was saying that um, the sex offenders who they could speak to, and, and obviously they're not, um, they're not always as uh, forthcoming and, and help, willing to help with research, but those that they'd spoke to did not feel... Um, uh, intimidated by by the process. Good. David Tucker, we have to end it there. David Tucker from uh, the Head of Strategy and Development at the NSPCC. Thank you for that. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Boom, boom. Morning, Inley. BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up, including there are still problems on the trains between Hitchin and Stevenage. So we've been going on since yesterday. Have you been affected by 08459 455 555. If you haven't, don't worry. Here at BBC Three Counties, we are taking matters into our own hands. We've sent JD out, Justin Dealey, with some carol singers. We'll find out exactly where he is in a bit. And also, after the shock news that funding is not being doubled for handball, it's being completely cut, can we get a list of, of sports that aren't really sports? I'll start you off. Handball, it's not a sport. This is a silly game for people who can't play football. Um, ping pong. Oh, for goodness sakes. Ping pong is a tiny green table with a little net. It's like miniature tennis for dollies. Badminton. It's not a sport. It's not a sport. Slow tennis. Slow tennis. Oh, look, Laura, my producer, who is uh, a great fan of badminton, is either coming in to give me a right royal rollicking or she's walked off. She's going home, one of the two. Either way. It's not a sport. Oh, he's got a shuttlecock. That's fun to say. That's it. That's the only fun bit. It's slow tennis. Oh, look. Boom. Boom. That's the speed it goes. Oh, here it comes. Well, hang on. Here it comes. Oh, no, it's going that way. Boom. 08459 455 555. If you can defend any of those, in inverted commas, sports, or if you want to add to the list of games that aren't sports, they're ridiculous. Handball, ping pong, 
and badminton. They're not sports. Right. Slader looks on as a joke, right? But in about 1972, 73, 74, Slade were one of the greatest rock bands. This They are better... OK, I'm going to say this. Slade are better than Led Zeppelin. It's true. What Led Zeppelin did in, in eight minutes, Slade could do in two and a half. And that's much harder. The only reason Slade don't have the respect of Zeppelin is because they wore stupid top hats with mirrors on. That's it. That's the reason, and because of Dave Hill's teeth. You put those to one side, they are a better rock band than Led Zeppelin. Fact. Now, carol singers. There's been a distinct lack of carol singers doing the rounds across Beds, Hearts and Bucks. No one has phoned in to say, yeah, in the last five years, we've had carol singers knocking on our doors. No, and yet, when I was a kid, used to get it all the time. I've said already, I remember once being younger, and a lad knocked on the door, he's about 16, he sang three songs. It was really awkward. I kept going to get some money... And he'd start, he'd start another one. We wish you a Merry Christmas. It, 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 oh, it was awkward. It was embarrassing for me. It was embarrassing for him. But yet we, we persevered. We stuck with it. We got on with it. And, and it was great. And I miss that. You hear singing outside. The doorbell goes. You open it and there's a group of people singing. Let's be honest, quite badly. But still having a darn good go. When was the last time you had carol singers knocking on your door? Well, I'm not standing for this. I kicked off yesterday. I kicked off. This year, we found our own carol singers, and we've sent our own uh, 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 Alid Jones, a.k.a. Justin Dealey, out with them. Good morning, JD. Ian, good morning. So, are you all right? Someone yes, I'm your, fine. Well, your... you, you introduced me as the Alid Jones of three counties. Oh, I, I thought, thought you, I'd take it seriously. I thought you had your bits in a vice there. <laughs> we are looking <laughs> forward to your um, solo rendition of The Snowman later on. Well, I think we should have a carol-off uh, live on three counties. What, what about that later on? I'm in. I'm, yeah, definitely, in? I'm up for, for that, that, of course. Yeah. Whereabouts are you and who have you got with you? Well, I'm in Luton this morning. I'm with Voices with Soul, who shot to fame in 2004 Didn't on The just? X Factor. They yeah. were absolutely fantastic. We've got Grace and Corin there inside at the moment, having their, their baked beans, having their breakfast... Joining me live in the radio car is Hildia Campbell. Hildia, welcome to the programme. Just describe to our listeners what you are wearing today, first of all. I am wearing my Christmas hat. It's a cowboy hat with fur trimmings and it says Merry Christmas. And I'm wearing a cape. <laughs> but it's not a, uh, a hero's cape. Yeah. It's just a warm coat. You are up for this this morning, aren't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Yeah. You woke me up this morning. I thought, you know what? I'm going to sing. Brilliant stuff. Uh, Ian was just saying there, in the last five years, nobody has knocked on his front door carol singing. Why do you think that is? I think people have lost the spirit of Christmas. When I was young, I still am, but when I was younger, um, people used to knock our door all the time and um, sing carols, and we used to really love it and say thanks and shut the door. So when was the last time somebody knocked at your front door and said, right, OK, Christmas carols, here we come? Probably when I was six. Six years old? Yeah, I'm 26 now. Oh, and with, with that, we appear to have lost Justin Dealey. You see, this is it. There's a conspiracy. They don't, they don't want us to have carol singers, whoever they are, with a capital T in, in, in italics. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. When was the last time you had carol singers knocking on your door? Jane of Houghton Regis has texted him. Eight, one, three, double, three, starting a text, three, CR. I'm a carol singer, and this week I sung on Dunstable Downs at a carol service in the parish church and the U3A concert, but regret we no longer sing door to door. Carol singers in churches, you get those. I like those. They're brilliant. 
I want them knocking door to door. I think we've got Dealey back. Dealey, what on earth is going on I there? I don't know. I don't know. It's technology. Somebody's trying to affect us this morning. Yes. Yeah, we're trying to bring a bit of Christmas it's spirit to people. Yeah, conspiracy. So Hildy was saying there, 20 years ago was the last time somebody knocked at her front door, which is rather sad. This morning, we're going to be in Luton doing a bit of carol singing. What are you going to sing for us right now? Um, a little silent night, I think, because it's still night time to me. Right, Ian, you ready for this? Oh, bring it on. Right, I'm more okay. than ready. Silent Light, live across Beds, Hearts and Bucks. Hildia Campbell from Voices with Soul. Take it away. Silent night. Holy night. All is calm. Get in there, girl. Go on. All is bright round your virgin mother and child. Holy infant, so tender and mild sleep in heavenly peace sleep in heavenly peace she's not bad is she she's not bad how great was that i'm now looking down the street here in clarendon road all the neighbors pulling their curtains back thinking what on earth is going on shut up (laughs) turn that racket off get a a grip on things no she was absolutely fantastic shivers down my spine justin that was fantastic i said to you these girls they can sing i did something quite naughty actually when i was younger (laughs) (laughs) do you sure you want to share this on the radio i I think i will actually i was talking about carol singers i was 18 years old and you know at 18 years old you haven't got a lot of money but you like to drink so um (laughs) a, a few friends of mine we went knocking on doors carol singing to raise money for a crate of lager uh we did it after about three days but it did taste good did you and were you telling the people that you were knocking on the door that it was for a crate of lager no no we, we just didn't say anything we just sung so as soon as the door opened start singing no questions and then you know at the end of it you either got uh some chocolate or <laughs> some, some money to put towards the crate so you know. well listen we're running out of time now yeah. justin luckily for you but later on i want to hear the song that you sang for that crate of lager yes yes no problem in no problem speak to you later on that was cracking wasn't it what a what a voice i can sing like that i just choose not to Oh, I've got shivers down my spine. That was wonderful. Thank you for that. Now, if you've travelled on First Capital Connect in Hertfordshire over the last 48 hours, you may have experienced problems. Repair work has been going on through the night on the East Coast mainline between Stevenage and Hitchin in a bid to restore a normal service this morning. Overhead line problems were first reported on Monday afternoon but failed again yesterday. Joined now by Sim Harris, editor of Rail News. Good morning, Sim. Good morning. Why is this taking so long to sort out? Well, it's a bit of a mystery. It's a bit of a railway Mari Celeste this one. Uh, as you rightly say, problems started on Monday afternoon. Uh, they actually happened, for those who like to know the detail, if you're in Hitchin, just north of Hitchin Station, the line goes off to the right, off to Cambridge. Mm. And it was at that junction that the problems occurred. Technically, it's what called the dropper wires, which actually hold the high-voltage line in position. And Network Rail don't yet know why they failed. But they put ah. those right on Monday night, working overnight, rather than them me. Uh, but Lo and behold, another fault occurred 
on Tuesday, which is why where we are now. The same type of fault? Pretty much, they reckon. I've been speaking in the last half hour to Network Rail, yeah. and they still cannot say what the problem was, which is a little bit worrying, but of course they're investigating. I was to say, that's a concern, isn't it? If, uh, if, if the same thing keeps happening and they're not sure why it's happening... Well, it's happened twice. Um, we, we now need to uh, cross our fingers and hope that the repairs are OK and that it doesn't happen again. But Network Rail get out there very quickly. Mm. But, of course, that's not until there's been a lot of disruption. The good news this morning, apparently everything is running again. The line is open again. or All four lines are open through Hitchin. But trains, as you've rightly said, are still running a little late on Great Northern this morning. But at least they're there, which is an improvement. Mm. Are these kind of problems, are they, are they common? Is it the sort of thing that happens often? It's a weakness of overhead wires, yes, uh, but unfortunately the alternative form of electrification, which is third rail, as it's technically known, it's uh, a third rail that runs along the track at wheel level, if you like. That is a lower voltage, but it's still lethal. That's the one that kills, that kills people, isn't it? Well, the overhead will too, but it's easier, uh, unfortunately, to get in touch with the third rail, and indeed there are longer-term plans to phase that out altogether. You'll find third rail south of London, places like Kent and Sussex, not in Hertfordshire. Um, but even so, um, it, overhead is normally pretty reliable. Hundreds of trains pass mm. it every day. So we notice it when it goes wrong. But that's a bit like the washing machine, isn't it? Yes. Uh, now, uh, there's a possible strike this morning that could affect commuters from Bedford to London. Is that happening? What's going on there? There is a walkout. Uh, members of the RMT who work at West Hampstead Signal Box, which controls all the signals between Bedford and London, are not reporting from seven o'clock this morning, so in a few minutes' time, until the end of today. Happily, there's good news for commuters from Bedford, Luton, St Albans and other stations on the Thameslink route, Network Rail assure me that they don't expect any disruption as a result. So I think they've probably got some emergency people going in to keep the signals working. So that's better news for Thameslink, perhaps, than for Great Northern commuters over the last day or two. And trains over Christmas, have we got anything predicted that's going to get in the way? I know this is going off slightly. The, the, the tubes in London, there's talk of a strike on Boxing Day. Have we got anything like that on the, on the rail network? Well, we have, but it shouldn't affect us in our area. We've got... Uh, a potential one-day strike on cross-country on Friday, but talks are underway. That may not happen. Um, we've just talked about our signalers at West Hampstead. That would appear not mm. to be causing a problem. Um, if you're in Scotland, you're going to have big problems there, I'm afraid, because they're going to have a, a major strike on Saturday and on Monday. Ouch. That will also affect sleeper services over the weekend. If you have any Scottish plans this Christmas and you're going to use trains, I would check that out before you go. That's going to be the big problem. Uh, the only other thing to take note of is on the West Coast main line in the Bletchley area, so just south of Milton Keynes, huge job of renewals going over Christmas, and there will be a lot of trains not running. There will be replacement buses, but if you're going to travel, shall we say, north of Milton Keynes, certainly, in fact, north of Watford, I would say, uh, over Christmas, check that out as well because that's a huge job needs to be done but it will cause some uh, some changes to services between christmas and new year sim always nice to talk to you what, what are you getting for christmas do you get like train sets and train books and things like that <laughs> is, is it all train no, is it no because pictures my, of a train my, no my job is to bore for england about rail franchises and strikes and i'm afraid 
I'm going to tell you something that will shock wow. three counties Here we listeners. Go. This is exciting. We'll get closer to the radio. I really don't care about steam engines or numbers or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> oh, you've disappointed um, me. To to all railway enthusiasts, a very happy Christmas to you, but I am not one of your number. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> you've shocked us. Sim Harris, you're a fraudster, sir. Have a lovely Christmas. Thank you very much for coming in. Add to you. Sim too. Harris, editor of Rail News. Uh, we've got a new Christmas song added to the Three Counties playlist. It's from the BBC introducing show it's by uh, i dream in color from bishop stortford the song is called it's christmas time don't let it go to waste it's out now and all proceeds from the song goes to crisis at christmas it's a nice message on facebook from keely and people say oh Ian, you're a bit why well, you've been so sloppy and sentimental this week it's christmas that's why even my heart thaws out over the seasonal period Keely on the Facebook page says, We've had carol singers the last couple of years in our village, organised by the local church. Last, Listen to this. Right. Last year was magical, as we stood on our doorstep, listening with our seven-week-old twins wrapped up in warm blankets. Oh, come on. Christmas time, throw it away. Christmas Time, Don't Let It Go to Waste, by I Dream of Colour from Bishop Stortford. All money from that single goes to crisis at Christmas. And to hear more music from three counties, uh, tune into BBC Introducing this Friday from 7. Uh, 08459 Also, go to the Facebook page, because th- I have posted uh, my... What people are saying is a shocking comment. It's not at all. Handball, ping-pong and badminton, a.k.a. slow tennis, they're not sports. Go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Have a look. You'll agree with me. Of course you will. No one will disagree. Eric says, are you saying badminton is not a sport because you're not very good? Of course I'm good at badminton, isn't it? Nothing happens. Great game. He says, Eric, it's a great game. I'll give you that. It's a great game. Monopoly is a great game. Cluedo, oh, it's a great game. None of them are sports. Oh dear, we don't want that. We want this. We can't let this lie where it's standing. The man actually said that. And shock horror, they've cut the funding for wrestling. Now wrestling is a sport. That's a that's a that's a proper sport. Two men in leotards grappling for the advantage to push one on the floor and sit on their shoulders for the count of three. That's a sport. Now I'm proper angry. What sports aren't sports? So far, we've got, according to me, to be honest, it's a little bit one-sided. Ping-pong, handball, and slow tennis. You don't know what slow tennis is? You may know it by its other name. Badminton. 08459 455 555. Uh, we've had a couple of uh, tweets about this. Catherine Boyle, who used to work here. I don't know what happened to her. Curling, it's just mopping up, really, isn't it? And Manners PR says, that gymnastics thing with a ribbon, that's not sport. Other things coming up in the show this morning. Oh, and dressage is not a sport. It's just posh people on horses going sideways. Other things coming up on the show this morning, because I'm slightly more serious. An exclusive investigation by this programme has revealed how many parents uh, um, uh, wanted information about people they suspect have a history of sex offences. Luton Borough Council is going to share its chief executive with two other councils. It's in an attempt to try and save money. The chief exec will be joining me live to explain why and whether Luton is still going to be his main priority. 
And do you know anyone who goes carol singing anymore? Carol singers have become extinct. Well, we've sent our carol correspondent, Justin Dealey, out with X Factor stars Voices of Soul to bring some cheer to the Three Counties Radio. Want to get in touch? Want to have an argument? Well, a great way to go and have an argument is to go to the Facebook page. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or, and we've got a couple of lines free, now's an excellent time to give us a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Uh, should we have a quick look at the papers? When you say when you say that we're moving on a bit, do you mean that that gentleman on my screen is gone? Is is Alan gone or is he he's gone? Okay, well let's have a look, look at the front pages. We had someone lined up who is no longer there anymore, so we shall shuffle the show around a little bit as we do. Front pages, the Guardian. Oh, the, now there's this brilliant picture that's doing the rounds. Um, of uh, the Queen visiting Parliament. And I don't get this picture because they're all having a laugh. Has she just... Has she just dropped one or something? Because they're all laughing and she's looking very, very serious. It's on the front page of The Guardian. Ministers ignoring fight against race discrimination. Mother of murdered teenager, Stephen Lawrence, says coalition has turned back on equality agenda. Let's have a look at some of the other front pages. Uh, The Times... Plebgate police in dock for misleading number 10. Uh, trust between the Tory party and the police sank to a new low last night after it emerged that an officer who played a key role in the downfall of the former chip, uh, chief whip misled number 10. These the guests back. We'll, OK, let's have a quick look at these, the, the Telegraph, and then we'll get back to that. Bug to ruin Christmas for thousands. Oh, this is the vomiting bug. Have you got it? Have you got the, the winter vomiting bug? Everyone's got it, haven't they? It's doing the rounds. Almost 900,000 people. And there's that picture of the Queen letting one rip uh, in the Houses of Parliament. 08459 455 555. I think we can get back to where we were. Figures obtained by BBC Three Counties Radio show that there have been 266 applications across beds, hearts and bucks for information under Sarah's law since it came into force. This law allows parents to ask police if someone with regular unsupervised access to their children has a record for child sex offences. As a result of these applications, uh, police have informed 42 families in the three counties that their children might be at risk. Now, you may remember that this process was made possible after campaigning by Sarah Payne, the mother of eight-year-old daughter Sarah Payne, who was murdered by a convicted sex offender in 2000. Well, Alan Collins is a lawyer for uh, Panoni Solicitors. They represent a number of victims of child abuse and joins me now. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. How important is Sarah's law? Well, it is important because quite clearly your statistics, your research has demonstrated that a sizable number of children have been spared potentially something absolutely appalling and tragic. So it is important because it's another means of child protection. How widely used has it been? I don't believe personally that it is widely used because I'm not sure that many people are actually aware of the law uh, and those that probably are aware of it are probably a little bit unsure about how to go about getting the information that they need. We don't really hear a great deal about it. So what you're doing today is very good because it's a very timely reminder, a very welcome opportunity to educate people, to make them realise that there is this means there to get 
information if they have got and you, you're right, I haven't got a clue. How do I do it? If, I, if I'm worried that, that, that there's someone who's, who's near my kids uh, is a little bit dodgy, but I'm not sure, what do I do? Do I, go, do I phone the police up and ask them? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's quite simple in the sense that you, they simply need to make contact with the police and to take it from there. I think one thing that, that, that I, I'm always cautious when talking about things like this is not to create a sense of panic. And people should be exactly. reminded that if, yeah. if, if someone is working with their children in a, an official capacity like volunteering or, or in schools or in cubs and scouts and things like that, they will have had to have had a CRB check, won't they? Indeed, indeed. It, but that's not the be-all and end-all. I think it's important to educate everyone to make sure that if there's a concern to follow it up. Something doesn't feel quite right to follow it up and not to ignore things because we've been hearing over recent weeks various scandals and so on and what's come out of all of that is the fact that signs have been ignored, the, the obvious has been ignored and that is what it's all about, is making sure that people appreciate that there is sometimes a risk. It's fortunately a low risk but it is there and we all need to be alive to that. In in the way you kind of alluded there to, to the Savile scandals and the other things that are going on in the press, have you noticed a difference in public awareness of the problem? Yes, it's been one of the, how can I put it, positive benefits is that it's got people talking. And if matters are discussed in a calm and rational way, dark secrets, if I can put it like that, have emerged. And there has been a very sensible debate about the fact that these terrible things do happen and that there needs to be a great, greater awareness and greater effort to try and make sure that the lessons of the past are now learned. It's, it's a very specific law, isn't it? For example, if someone moved in next door to me who wore tracksuits and jewellery and I was kind of suspicious about, I couldn't find out about them, could I? No, you couldn't. You know, a balance has to be struck somewhere. Otherwise, you know, it, we would become a, a rather paranoid society and that would defeat the whole purpose of the exercise. And in the States, their equivalent of this, Megan's Law, it, it yeah. does allow you to do that. Do, do you think that that's something that could happen here? I don't, I don't believe so. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a difficult situation of trying to strike the right, the right balance between, between, between freedom, as it were, and a degree of privacy, but also at the same time making sure the most vulnerable are protected. And that is best done by education, by talking about these things. Is there not a chance, Alan, uh, that, that by having this law and by giving this information out, that it's um, preventing people who have committed offences in the past from rehabilitating themselves? Not necessarily. Um, I don't see that. It's, the priority is to ensure child protection. And without compromising that, there isn't anything to stop people from being rehabilitated. So, no, I think the balance is, is, is struck there. And I think your statistics show that, you know, there isn't some kind of, um, you know, driven mania, as it were. Um, your, your research is quite illuminating, I think. Alan Collins, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. I think the thing on the back of that is, don't panic. I'm always aware of when you hear these stories on on the news and on the radio and on the TV, there's always a real sense of there's paedophiles on every corner. There's not. It happens. It's horrible that it happens. And it's it's one of the worst things you can do. But generally, you know... (laughs) 
don't panic. Uh, should we carry on with the rest of the, the newspapers? Let's, uh, let's have a look at what uh, nonsense they've got going. The Daily Mail uh, says, oh, it's our pick of, our be- of the best cut price gifts in the pre-Christmas sales. Christmas is done. It's all sorted. It's all sorted. I'm going to wrap two more things, including a present for the work experience boy. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Don't get too excited. Uh, the main story on the front page of the mail, judge orders surgery, I, I can't speak, judge orders surgery, but mother still seeks second opinion. Cancer boy will have op against wishes of his mother. Did they just call him cancer boy? On the front page of the newspaper? Cancer boy? Wow. He's got a name, Neon Roberts. The boy snatched by his mother to save him from the ordeal of cancer treatment will have brain surgery today against her wishes. The Daily Express. How you can beat winter vomiting outbreak. Norovirus has now hit over a million people. Have you got it? If you've got it, don't come near me. Let me know. But I don't, I don't come near me. This is why Catherine's not in. Someone in her family, I think, has got it. That's why she's not here. Either that or she's, she makes a good excuse and is bunking off. Vo- Britain is in the grip of a winter vomiting bug crisis with experts admitting a million people may have been hit by it. And the sun... It's a picture of a lady in a bra um, with a gun pointing at her head. The story is, soap star Helen Flanagan poses with a gun pressed to her head in a picture she put on the internet as the world mourned the Sandy Hook massacre victims. The next paragraph is interesting. Shocked parents in Newtown, Connecticut, where Adam Lanza shot dead 20 children and six school staff yesterday, accused Helen of brainless stupidity. Now, you probably don't know who Helen Flanagan is. So how on earth did the people in Newtown, Connecticut know? Oh... Someone from the sun showed them the picture. Right, yeah, because that's not insensitive and stupid, is it? Well done, the sun. There was a great picture yesterday. The front page of the sun was one of these outrageous sick killer played violent video games. Kind of linking violent video games in with the shooting. You may have your own views on that. I think it's pretty much nonsense. There was then a picture of the guy that wrote that story doing the rounds on the internet of him posing with a semi-automatic rifle. Yeah, and smiling. So, you know... Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. What sports are not sports, and can anybody defend handball, ping pong, and badminton? I think not. I think not. Carol singers. When I w- when I were a lad, they used to knock on the door. Some were awful. Some were okay. They were never brilliant. Um, and they don't do that anymore. Yeah, you can go to a church service, and there is something. I'm not religious at all, but there is something very magical. And that almost makes me... It almost twists me into believing when you stand in a church and you hear a proper carol service. Wonderful. Magical. But you don't get carol singers going door to door. Why? If you've had any in the last, let's say, five years, carol singers knocking on your door, could you give me a call? 08459 455 555. Well, disappointed, frustrated and nay angry about this, I had a bit of a cry on Justin Dealey's shoulder, and Justin said, don't worry, I will sort this out for you. Justin, where are you, and what are you doing? Ian, good morning to you. I'm outside Luton train station. I am with Voices with Soul, who shot to fame on the X Factor back in 2004. Ladies, good morning. Morning! Ian, they are loud. Blimey, aren't they? Just. (laughs) How are they so perky at this time in the morning? They're wonderful. They're they're all dressed up for the occasion, so... <laughs> so commuters coming here, of course, uh, last few days before Christmas for them. Uh, a lot of them are broken up already, of course. Some people had this week off. So this morning, we are bringing a bit of cheer to the people in Luton. Voices with Soul are about to perform yet another Christmas carol for us. So, ladies, which carol now? 
Um, oh, come let us adore him. Lovely. Oh. Excellent. Right. Uh, oh, oh, there's, a, there's a debate oh, going on here. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Get the name right, girls, for goodness sake. They can sing. Right, ladies, three, two, one, away you go. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye. To Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the King of Angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us. Adore him, Christ the Lord. Oh, yes, give yourselves a big round of applause. Fantastic. That was great. There you go, Voices of Soul, live outside Luton train station. And Ian, we are going to be here this morning. A couple of people have called in already saying, can you come to our location? We may be going there. We may stay here, but I can guarantee you a few more Christmas carols live on your show between now and nine. I heard um, uh, uh, what amazing voices they were, Justin. I heard a lot of ladies' voices. How many, how many women have you got there? Three. Three? Really? Yes, we have three. We have Hildia, Grace and Kareem. It sounded like they were about uh, 15. <laughs> wow, they're ballsy. That's the power they have, the power. Uh, but I heard the three ladies' voices. I didn't hear any gentlemen's voices no no the, you're the, the, you're there <laughs> i didn't hear you joining in justin but m- maybe later on but the thing is do you want quality or do you want quantity i it's want you i want you, you sing i want a solo from you a solo a bit later on. what would you like so i want uh, the like. snowman walking in the air we're walking <laughs> <laughs> you don't want much do you <laughs> can we get that from you later on justin um yes or, or will we mysteriously lose the signal again? No, I, I shall do it later. Good I'll lad. do walking in the air. Peter Orty or, or Ali Jones, whichever version you want, I'll do it for Good you. Good lad, Justin. Cracking stuff. Thank you very much. Go down to Luton Station and have a listen to that because it just sounds wonderful. There's only three of them. I thought there were about 15. It was such a big noise. Wow. Ah, moving on to slightly more serious matters. The family of a 21-year-old man who died from Hertfordshire after it's believed he took ecstasy have paid tribute to him. They said Wills Leighton from Watford was popular and had lots of friends. Police in the county are warning people against taking illegal drugs after two deaths within three weeks. More than 200,000 young people in uh, England and Wales took the drug last year. Our reporter, Jessica Cooper, spoke to this 19-year-old on the first night he'd used the drug. You're going to listen to him. He's, he's high. Uh, he'd been to see the St John's Ambulance staff after becoming worried about its effects. Tonight's my first time in drugs, or hardcore drugs anyway. He's been very helpful. I wouldn't say he saved my life, but um, he certainly calmed me down. He was very helpful. He gave me a bottle of water. Honestly, when I was a little bit high, I was a little bit worried. I was a little bit worried what was happening to me. The things that were happening to me. He took my blood pressure, he told me I was okay, he told me I to drink some water, he calmed me down. Do you mind telling me which drug you took and why you took it? I've taken MDMA because um, it's sort of known as a party drug and it gets you very happy and, you know, dancing and moving. So that's why I've taken it. I did get a little bit wor- worried, sorry. Once I started to... Um, feel the proper effects of it because it is a little bit worrying you know the fact that my blood pressure started to slow down but my heart started to beat faster and I wanted to move 
it was very, very funny and funny feelings and different things going on in my body. So do you regret doing that then? Not fully, but there is part of me that regrets doing it, yeah. Mainly a part that I didn't know was going to happen and yeah. funny things have happened to me. I wouldn't say, like I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I fully regret doing it because I'm quite happy. Yeah. I'm quite in a party mood. That's Jessica Cooper speaking to a 19-year-old on his first time taking MDMA. We're joined now by um, uh, Mark from Milton Keynes, who used to take ecstasy. It's not your real name, is it, Mark? No, it But isn't. thank you for joining us. And also, Professor Andy Parrott is an expert in MDMA and is against people using it. Morning, Professor. Good morning, yes. Professor, why are you against people doing it? We heard that young lad there, and apart from having a, a slightly dry mouth, it sounded like he was having a great time. Well, MDMA is a very powerful drug, and it does actually um, damage the brain. So it tends to heat up the brain, which isn't very good for it. And uh, when it stimulates the neurotransmitters in the brain, um, it tends to do so at quite a fast rate. And the neurons have difficulty keeping up with that, and they tend to be damaged. And take the drug a lot, um, end up with um, forms of brain damage. Well, 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 they can end up with forms of brain damage. It's not, it's not a definite, is it? Oh, it is now a definite, yeah. So there's a study in Canada which studied 50 MDMA users, yeah. and they had um, clear signs of brain damage. They compared them with 50 controls, and it's a very thorough study. And there's now about 20 studies showing brain damage, and uh, about two or three which don't. So the overwhelming n- number of studies have found problems. Mark, you, you're brain damaged? No. You used to take, uh, take ecstasy and MDMA. Why did you take it? It was a party drug uh, at the scene, basically. Uh, when I took it, it used to be um, the thing to take at the time. And why did you stop taking it? Because of the uncertainty of the ingredients, do you know what I mean? It, it, you've got to think about these people that actually produce the drug. They're not qualified, it's not regulated. And you hear about these people, unfortunately, they pass away with it. So, do you know what I mean? It, it's just, it's basically Russian roulette with your life. Mark, tell us what, what it would do to you when you took it. It's um, a combination of a few uh, few things. You know, we're talking about increased heart rate. You've got more energy, sounds, light, and more intense. And that's it, basically. But if it varies, you know, in in the scene, like everybody who's done a bit, there are different. You know, you get different types. There are, maybe this month it would be strawberry, next month it would be doves and all that. So there's different batches being made. Professor, it, uh, th- there, there aren't that many deaths from ecstasy, and those deaths, it, it's unlikely that the ecstasy was solely to blame. Uh, so there's not really that much damage, is there? Well, um, there's lots of studies showing various forms of damage. Um, there's a study of um, Canadian school children. And that showed that um, 50% of them showed uh, depression. Hello? Yeah, I'm listening. Yes. And um, these were school children in Canada. And uh, they, some of the children took meth- methamphetamine. And uh, they had depression a year later. And some took MDMA. And they also had depression. So methamphetamine is a class A drug known to be very damaging. And the evidence is that MDMA is damaging to a similar extent. Mm. People, you can get depressed. Drinking is a depressant. 
difficulty of problem solving. D- drinking is a de- uh, alcohol is a depressant, isn't it as well? Alcohol is a depressant. MDMA is a stimulant. But we also did a study where we looked at um, women that had taken MDMA during the first trimester of their pregnancy, the first three months. Yeah. And we followed them up over two years, and we found that the children of the MDMA-using mothers were developmentally retarded. Oh, well, that's... Uh, uh, yes, I would suggest that doing anything, smoking, drinking, or taking ecstasy when you're pregnant, is probably not a brilliant idea. Well, but our control group were other people that took other drugs during pregnancy. Well, that's silly. So compared with other people... MDMA was was clearly more damaging. Well, I, I think that's. I, I don't think you need to do any tests for that. I could have told you that. That's obvious. But there are uh, uh, young people who like to get high and have a laugh and feel a bit loved up. I believe is the phrase and go out for a night. Well, one of the paradoxical things is we've looked, we've measured happiness yeah. levels in ecstasy users and non-users. The paradox is that the non-users are happier than the MDMA users. And one of the reasons is you have six hours of happiness followed by two or three days of um, low mood or depression. And what tends to happen is people start using the drug to control their mm. low, low, weak um, moods. So it's, it shows aspects of dependency. And paradoxically, as people use the drug more often, they get more depressed, less happy, etc., etc. So if you're searching for happiness, mm. you don't want to take MDMA. Mark, it doesn't work. Mark, taking ecstasy and MDMA doesn't make you happy. It, it causes brain damage. It's it, it's going to make you miserable in the end. Um, probably. You know, I mean, it's like everything else in life. Everything is addictive. But on the other hand, people take it for a good time. Uh, there is. You know, I mean, this. Been um, sad and all this years later. That I'm afraid I can't swallow that. That does not. Well, chaps, listen, it's, it's an ongoing debate that's going to rage on. I appreciate uh, your time and your input. That's uh, Mark from Milton Keynes, not his real name, who uh, used to take uh, ecstasy. And uh, Professor Andy Parrott is an expert in MDMA and is against people using it. I, I could have told you, I could have saved you all the money from that research that pregnant women taking ecstasy is probably a bad thing. I don't know. I, I could have given you that one for free. Thank you, Professor. Thank you, Mark. You're getting lots of tweets about sports that are not sports. Fishing... Uh, BMX, that's not a sport. They're all so young. Most of like they've only just taken their stabilisers off. And I've been tweeted by Paul, who says, Hamble, not a sport, want to come to a training session? Well, in a flurry of arrogance, I went, yeah, go on then. Oh, what have I got myself into now? Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text charged at the standard network rate. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up in the next half an hour, <clears throat> including Luton Borough Council is sharing its chief executive with two other councils. Find out why in the next few minutes. And do you remember yesterday we told you that residents in Harpenden were angry about plans to develop a new training ground for the football club? Well, we've got some very interesting news from one of the mums whose son goes to the club. She's not happy either. We'll find out why in a bit. If you want to get in touch, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. 81333, start your text 3CR, or give us a call 08459 455555. Now, 
We know that councils across beds, hearts and bucks are having a difficult time with their finances and are in the middle of a series of cuts. It started two years ago when central government funding was reduced and later today councils will find out the government's future plans for them. One of the criticisms levelled at councils has been how much they pay their chief executives at a time of austerity. Well now Luton Borough Council has come up with a scheme to cut back. They're going to share their chief executive with two other councils. Luton Chief Exec uh, Trevor Holden joins me in the studio. Morning Trevor. Ian, good morning to you. How does this work? What's the plan? Okay, well, first off, it's an interim arrangement. Um, the councils of Breckland and South Holland already have a shared management team and work together. Their chief exec is retiring, um, and they've got a gap. And what they've done is approached us at Luton to say, look, can we help them with mm. that gap whilst they look at what their future plans are and what they do differently? Um, for us, it's a really, really good opportunity. Um, it's a good opportunity to learn how their shared service environment works. It's a good opportunity to defray some of the costs of the council um, and it's the same message as I'm saying from the top to the bottom of the council we've got to work differently because the current model can't be sustained because of finance. So it's, it's for three months yeah. initially but if it goes well is that going to continue? No, no, it's three months with an option for a further three months extension yep. to get them to a place where they've either got a new shared chief exec or they've come to some other arrangement. This is not the beginning of a long term okay. proposition. So there's no chance that you will be sharing all of these these, these boroughs uh, for more than six months? Um, I think a week is a long time in politics, and politics is not uh, my forte. So there is a chance. What, no, what I'm saying is this is, a, this is an interim arrangement. Yeah. Um, what, what the real game for us is in terms of Luton, because the interesting fact is it's across different party politics, so yeah. the other two are Conservative, we're obviously a Labour authority. Can we work in a shared service environment? Mm. If we can, can we demonstrate that to some of our nearer neighbours? can we then explore that model more locally? So there's lots of learning for us okay. and assistance for those So just to clarify, there is a chance this might go on beyond six months? Um, I don't believe that there is a chance that it will go beyond six months. The agreement that we've entered into is three months with an option for a further three, depending on where okay. they're up to. Um, and that's kind of what Luton, subject to ratification by council, yeah. is signing up to. So what are the other councils you're going to be in charge of? Um, Breckland... District Council in yeah. Norfolk and South Holland District Council in Lincolnshire and the, there's a bit in the middle which is West Norfolk. And how much money is this going to save Luton? Right, the uh, the finances are to be um, agreed between the leaders of the council and that's subject to the reports going to the respective council and the proposition being mm. ratified. Um, but we'd, we'd look to defray probably um, as much as 50% of my costs. Wow, so that's, that's a significant amount of money. Yeah, and it's also about what we're saying to the rest of the organisation because we've got bits of the organisation that trade, so we've got building services, mm. we've, we're, we're trading with schools, and our message to everybody across the authority is the money's not going to be there, we've got to do more with less um, but actually that's not necessarily about taking jobs out yes we've got to take some jobs but if we can generate income to deliver the services we need to deliver to the community mm. then that's a good way to go uh, if you can do other jobs as well as this, does this mean that we don't need a full-time chief exec in Luton? Oh, do you know, I'm really glad you asked that question because you can take the view, and some people have, um, that is this one person doing three jobs or is this one job in three different locations? Yeah. And if you were to look at the role of chief exec in different authorities, actually there's huge, huge amounts of common ground. You know, if I'm reading a new policy from government, I don't need to read it three times, I can mm. read it once. And so it's about 
a different model of working. It's not three separate jobs. It's a similar job. There's local differences, but mm. a very, very similar job in three different locations. And also through exploiting, you know, things like video conferencing and the like. And we see that sometimes in the public sector as that's groundbreaking. In the private sector, it's commonplace to have yes. a general manager and use technology that's available. So what you, are you saying that you'll still be spending most of your time in Luton? Well, the three leaders have had a discussion around how that works. And actually, from, you know, first thing on Monday morning to last thing on Sunday night, I need to be available for any of the leaders of the council to call to say, actually, there's a snag. Mm. Um, where time is spent is dependent on where the need is. Predominantly, yes, my time is going to be in Luton, but it's not about the location because it goes back to use of modern technology yeah. and the ability, actually, to work across different areas without necessarily being in the building. Because there might be some people, some Luton residents, who say, well, hang on a second, what's this got to do with us? What's these places in Lincoln got to do with us? it seems a little bit unfair yeah i think I, th I don't think it's unfair because i'm saying to everybody across the organization we've got to improve productivity we've got to increase our income generation but equally it's not a one-way street we've been asked which is actually recognizing what luton is doing because actually as an authority luton is recognized as driving change within the sector um but it is about us assisting those other authorities but it's not a one-way street because it's going to be learning for us and opportunities for us to understand better the work they've done on working on shared service and delivery because they already are it's mm. a common management team across those two authorities how do we bring that learning back and apply that within the context of bedford Shear, and its local neighbors uh, some critics of the council might say that the luton borough council has spent money unnecessarily i'm thinking of the the love luton festival with the losses made over the ollie moore's concert w what would you say to those criticisms well i think you know actually that the debate around the the love luton festival has raged and and, and well, gone a lot of money was wasted yeah, wasn't there, it? yeah. There was, people are there upset was, by that yeah there was there was huge debate about that um what we've got to focus on at the moment is actually, as you rightly say, the, mm. the government settlement, local government settlement should be published today. We won't know all the detail, but we'll get the ballpark mm. figures. One thing is for certain, it's going to be a continued downward trend. So the current model of local government administration probably isn't sustainable in the future, and let alone the finance changes you've got demands for adult but, social but care. But with and, examples, and I like, like the Love Luton Festival, and I, I can sense that you're keen to, to not talk about it, but, but that was a way of money wasn't it and no, people no, I'm, can I'm, see that as, as as an example that actually money is being wasted unnecessarily no, I'm, I'm more than more than happy to talk about the love luton festival and in terms of you talk about waste um we have taken out huge huge amounts of revenue budget where the target to carry out the revenue budget at the moment is another a further 48 million pounds that's huge mm. when your net operating budget is around 150 mm. the love luton festival did make a loss but actually it also did a lot for the town and so, yes, it made a loss. That's hugely regrettable. Mm. What we're focusing on at the moment is actually how do we drive a sustainable model in local government against the kind of cuts that we're going to take. And this kind of sharing uh, chief execs around, is, is this going to become more commonplace, you think? Is this sort of happening all over the country with other councils? It's, it's an interesting way, isn't it, of, of, of combining forces and, and, and saving money? Yeah, I think you've got to look at what's the overhead cost of running an authority? Can we do things differently? Well, actually, we're going to have to do things differently mm. yes there are a number of models of shared chief executives this will be the first time i think that it's kind of cross-party and across county borders but it's it's an interim arrangement it's an opportunity for us to test and learn prove a concept 
bring it back and apply it, hopefully in a more local context. But one thing that's clear around local government finance and the settlements going forward, the current model isn't sustainable. I'm going to out you on the air, and you may regret telling me this off yeah. but we're <laughs> talking about then. sports that aren't sports. <laughs> and you came in, and first thing you said was golf. Golf's not a sport. It isn't, is it? Yeah. Well, I think um, I'd describe golf as um, sport without the exercise. It's just, it's just rich people driving. You don't, you don't even walk anymore. You just drive the buggy around. I'm, I'm going to get shocking comments I back know. now, aren't yeah, I? That's yeah, going to do you yeah, more yeah, damage. Yeah, listen, thank you very much. We shall be following this closely and see how it goes. Thank you no, very much for your very time. Much. Cheers. The BBC in beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Now, if you've travelled on First Capital Connect in Hertfordshire over the last 48 hours, you may have experienced some problems. Repair work has been going on through the night on the East Coast Main Line between Stevenage and Hitchin in a bid to restore a normal service this morning. Overhead line problems were first reported on Monday afternoon but failed again yesterday. Well, Nick King is from Network Rail. Morning, Nick. Morning. What's caused the problem? Well, essentially, as you say, on Monday afternoon we had a, an overhead line failure, a dewirement, as we call it, in Hitchin. Um, now, we had engineers working on that problem through the night on Monday into Tuesday, um, and then at start of service, uh, we believed that we'd had direct, we'd rectified the problems, but when we reintroduced the train service, um, there were still issues in the area. So again, we had engineers on site throughout the day yesterday and working again through the night last night, um, and we do we do now have a normal service running through that area, and we do now have a, a full repair to the overhead line. So the service uh, the service is running normally because we we did hear that perhaps some of the trains were in the wrong places. Well, that may be a problem initially when you reopen a railway after a, after a period of disruption that some of your trains will be in the wrong places. Um, but that's quite a short-term issue. Um, and I'm, what I'm told is that that essentially is no longer an issue. We're now running a normal service. It um, took a while to sort out, Nick, didn't it? Why, why was that? Well, it's, it's the nature of the fault, essentially. Overhead line equipment is quite a, quite, quite a specialised piece of equipment. Um, it, it can be quite difficult sometimes to to work out, exact, to fault find, if you like, to find out exactly what's causing you your problem. Because once you've prepared the obvious damage, say a, a power line has come down or a piece of equipment's been damaged, as was the case on Monday, once you've prepared the obvious damage, there can still be sort of secondary faults that aren't apparent until you re-energise the railway and start trying to run trains again. If if passengers were subject to delays, can they claim compensation? Is there anything that, like that going on? Um, generally speaking, if passengers are unable to complete a journey, they can claim compensation from the train operator. Um, the train operator is in turn compensated by us because it's our responsibility to provide the railway for them to use. So um, passengers should be able to claim compensation. I'm not sure how each individual company does it, but there should certainly be information on the company's websites or on National Rail Inquiries. Nick, fantastic. Thank you for that. Nick King uh, from Network Rail. He's got Mr Maker on! Whoa, 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 everyone, just stop for a second. How on earth has Nick Coffer, who I'm a big fan of, he does a cracking how has he got Mr Maker? My boy loves Mr Maker. Oh, Matt, Nick, say hello to Mr Maker from me. He, know, we, we, he knows me. We email from time to time. Yeah, I've got Mr Maker's email address. Mr.maker at gmail.com. It's not. I don't know what it is. I do know it. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But, but he's the, the loveliest bloke, and he's so clever. He's our generation's Tony Hart. Or, for those slightly younger, our generation's Neil Buchanan. He's better than Buchanan ever was. Mr. Maker is a genius, and my boy loves him. And we're going to go and see him in pantomime. We've got tickets. We've got tickets to go and see him in the pantomime. Very, very excited uh, about that. 
Now, yesterday we heard from residents in Harpenden who were angry about plans to develop a new training ground for Harpenden Colts FC at the new farm site. Proposals for Roundwood Lane include 11 pitches, a new road, a car park uh, for 100 vehicles. Locals say it will lead to an increase in traffic on an already busy road. Well, Elaine Norwood has also been in touch with BBC Three Counties Radio. Her children play for Harpenden Colts, and she says the chairman, Bob Trevor, is refusing to give any information or answers on what this will mean in terms of the fees the parents pay every year. Well, Elaine has been speaking to our reporter, Justin Dealey. I've um, emailed Bob Trevor several times, um, spoken to him in person as well, uh, refuses to be drawn on how this is going to be paid for, how the ongoing costs are going to be paid for. I understand that there may be some grants involved in the capital costs. My concern really is for the boys, because what I don't want this to happen is this an excellent community club at the moment. People volunteer, it's 750 boys enjoy their playing every weekend. And my concern is it's now going to become an elite club for those that can afford to, to uh, the, the hike in subscriptions because how else are they going to maintain uh, such a vast um, facility with 11 pitches? As lovely as it may be, how is it going to be paid for? And I want my boys that are not currently at Colts to be able to enjoy the same things that my two older boys have enjoyed. So you're saying, come on, Where's the transparency here? You're talking about these big plans. It sounds fantastic. But you as the parent, you are the life and soul of that club because if your boys aren't with the club, they have no football club. Absolutely. And I didn't know anything about this. As a member, I I didn't know anything about this this club and this facility. And I want to know what mandate, you know, Mr Trevor has to... um, to, to put, put this proposal for the, for the club members to pay. I've never voted on it. Um, he won't give me any information as to when it was voted for. Um, I haven't got a copy of the Constitution. He won't give me a copy of the Constitution. I don't know what mandate he has to commit the club to such a large um, expense. Are you appalled by his attitude? I am, quite frankly, because I've asked him several times. I've emailed him, I've spoken to him in person, and there is no transparency. I'm a member, I'm concerned about the boys, and I'm concerned that if we can't afford it, that the club's going to implode, and it's such an amazing club. The volunteers are amazing, the coaches are amazing. No one gets paid for doing what they do with this club, and they're managing 750 boys every weekend, whatever the weather, and he doesn't want to speak to me, and I've had to come and talk to you to, you know, invite him to please can you come and speak to us and if there's any other Colts parents out there please you know let's write to Mr Trevor and let's ask him for a discussion he won't discuss it with me um, you know let's have that open discussion and, and talk about our concerns and you know if he comes back and he has an answer and he can tell us how it's done then absolutely you know we, we, can, we can go with it but when he doesn't discuss it this really worries me. Well that's Elaine who's obviously very passionate speaking to our reporter Justin Dealey. Bob Trevor is the chairman of Harpenden Colts FC he joins us again now uh, morning, Bob. Yeah, good morning, Ian. What have you got to say in response to Elaine? Well, I think, um, as with any member of Harpen and Colts Football Club, um, Elaine is always welcome to come along to the, um, the AGM and other fully constituted meetings, and these are fully advertised within the club itself. Well, the AGM is once um, a year. Yes, but we do have other meetings where the managers come to... Um, discuss issues relating to the club. The agendas are freely circulated. Okay. Um, well, she's, she's, just, are freely circulated. she's just raised her points there. C- can you answer those? Um, yeah, I mean, the club is transparent and it does share all of its information quite freely with its members. In respect of the future funding arrangements, say on an annual basis, the revenue costs 
at this moment in time, the club is working with the Hearts FA and other stakeholders such as the HCC, the County Council, and we're putting together, or rather I should say we are finalising our business case and business plan. Is it going to cost more for the kids that are members? At this moment in time, I don't think that's for the public domain, um, and certainly not sharing with your listeners. Well, it, it is, though, because in, there, there, uh, there are members who want to know if they're going to have to pay more for their kids to, to come and play football with you. I would say that the members of Harpen and Colts will be reassured in that myself and the members of the officers of the football club would not do anything that would disadvantage both the finances and the members themselves. So the fees are going to stay the same? I can't say whether the fees will stay the same because we have ongoing costs. So they might they go will up. Be taken into account, and anything that affects Harpen and Colts in terms of what its outgoings and its yeah. commitments are will be uh, taken into full consideration each and every year before the fees are set. So uh, they, they they will go up. Fees will probably go up because okay. of the normal any idea activity of the club's activities. Any idea how much they might go up by? At this moment in time, Ian, neither I nor the club can give any projection on whether the fees will go up either through its day-to-day running Or by this massive project that you're undertaking. Or any other initiatives that the club may well take on board. Why won't you discuss the plans with the residents and with members like Elaine? Well, Harpen and Colts, actually, along with the County Council, at the invitation of the, um, I believe it's the Harpen and Society, their chairman, Chris Marsden actually invited all parties and stakeholders uh, to a public meeting. But you've ignored Elaine's phone calls and emails? Uh, No, if I can come back to discussing with the residents and the people who are interested in this, as I say, Mr Martin, who is the chairman of Harpen and Society, invited all parties to a public meeting at which the County Council and Harpen and Colts were fully supportive but Elaine and the other people who have got genuine concerns about this particular initiative and project were not prepared to come along. Elaine is one of your, your customers, Bob. How can you not speak to her? No, the club and myself have spoken with Elaine. We asked... We I asked. Think it's just a case of misrepresentation at this moment in okay. time. Well, you, we, Bob, Ian, Bob, I did Bob. explain to your colleagues that, yep. you know, the club itself is not prepared to discuss in the public domain, any internal oh, matters Bob, relating that's, to the club. that's silly. Well, listen, we asked you to come on and speak to Elaine this morning to answer her questions live, and you said no. That's right, because Why we have is spoken that? with Elaine, and we have spoken with the members. The members are fully aware... Why wouldn't you discuss it in public with... Why wouldn't you discuss it in public with her this morning? No, I don't think that's uh, a matter of concern in the public domain. Well, of course what it is. Colts, you want to attract... You have like people, do, Ian, you have young people, you have young people... To new farm. Bob, it would, it would look like from the outside that you are hiding things. You have young people who are members of that club. You are trying to... It's you said yesterday... I'm going to finish this sentence. I'm going to finish this sentence. You have young okay. people who are members of your club who pay fees to be members of your club. You uh, said okay. that you want to grow and attract more members. Then yes. why are you doing so much in secret no the club is doing absolutely nothing in secret. well it, you are you just it's said you don't the, want to discuss anything no the club will discuss at the right moment in time when will that be so and we can put it in our diaries it, and look it forward is to it at managers meetings it's at club agms bob, and any other association bob, you're meetings. speaking office speaking you're being secretive we've got a call from no. john in harpenton would you like to talk to john um it depends what john is about to i've uh, got no ask. idea what john's about to say let's find out john from harpenton what would you like to say 
Yes, hello there, Ian. Uh, John Davey here. I'm a resident in uh, Roundwood Lane. I, I, I've actually got a foot in both camps here. Uh, actually, I was a manager at Harpen and Colts for 15 years. Uh, I set up and helped to run the girls' section. Uh, you know, I have a lot of a uh, lot of time for Harpen and Colts. They do a great job. Um, but I'm also a resident, so I also get affected by the developments. Uh, my, my first sort of point is, is really an observation more than anything. Um, you know, Colts have perfectly adequate facilities in the area at the moment. There is, there is no boy and no girl waiting to play football in Harpenden. Uh, we use and have used for many years recreation centres, parks... If uh, I could ask you to get your point very quickly, John, just because we're running out of time. Yeah, so my first point is the need. Uh, There's perfectly adequate facilities. The second point is there's a real genuine concern around here about the traffic and the parking. These are tight, rural country lanes. There's already accidents in these lanes. We're talking about another, you know, 300, 350 traffic movements every Saturday, Sunday morning, and in the evening when when the lights, uh, uh, when the nights are, are light. Uh, so we have genuine concerns John, let's put that to Bob. Bob, what do you make of that? Well, I think Mr Davey has got a, a reasonable, reasonable point in terms of um, making not just Colts but the County Council aware that uh, the residents have concerns over traffic flows. The County Council is undertaking a highway survey and will be putting forward the, its documents um, relating to this when the planning application goes in so that the District Council can give it full consideration. What I would like to say in answer to John's first point, which is an observation, he says that, you know, Colts has got adequate facilities. Well, Harpen and Colts is the largest club in Hertfordshire without its own home ground and it actually has no control over the environment in which our players train and play. We've got no changing facilities, no clubhouse facilities and facilities have actually starting to be withdrawn from Harpen and Colts because the uh, playing area... Okay, so you, you say that it needs to be done. But Bob, we're running out of time. If okay. Elaine um, gets into emails you, will you talk to her? Bearing in mind that she is a paying customer. If Elaine would like to come along to any meeting... If she gets in touch with you outside of a meeting, would you talk to her? Bearing in mind she's a paying customer. I will converse with Elaine, um, certainly, on behalf of the club. Okay, thank you very much. There we go. We made progress. Thank you very much, Bob Trevor and John. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC, Three Counties Radio, four minutes past eight, Wednesday, Wednesday the 19th of December. It's close now, isn't it? Oh, it's close. I almost feel it in the air. Christmas. Love it. We've got carol singers out and about this morning. Uh, You don't get carol singers knocking on doors anymore. Why? I don't know. Never mind, our Christmas correspondent, Justin Dealey, is out and about spreading joy to the three counties, and he's going to give us a burst of his snowman as well, which I'm looking forward to immensely. Other things on the show include... An exclusive investigation by this programme has revealed how many parents want information about people they suspect that have a history of sex offences. We'll hear from a former journalist from The Sun who wrote an article which ignited the campaign, which led to the introduction of Sarah's Law. Should pubs and clubs ban glass bottles? We'll find out why a Milton Keynes woman whose son was glassed in the face has taken her campaign to Downing Street to try and make it happen. And sports that aren't sports... Badminton, table tennis, handball. They're not sports, are they? Come on, grow up. They're just games. 08459 455 555. You can uh, text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or you can give us a call. 
Uh, well, I've given that. You can go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. BBC Three Counties Radio. Figures obtained by BBC Three Counties Radio show that there have been 266 applications across beds, hearts and bucks for information under Sarah's law since it came into force. This law allows parents to ask police if someone with regular, unsupervised access to their children has a record for child sex offences. As a result of these applications, police have informed 42 families here that their children are at risk. Now, you may remember that this process was made possible after campaigning by the News of the World and Sarah Payne, the mother of eight-year-old daughter Sarah Payne, who was murdered by a convicted sex offender in 2000. Well, Paul McMullen is a former journalist from the paper and wrote the article responsible for igniting the campaign that led to the introduction of Sarah's Law. He joins me on the line now. Good morning, Paul. Uh, Morning. Paul, take us back in time. How did Sarah's Law come to be? Um, we had a female editor um, at the time called Rebecca Brooks, and she had a, a bit of a bee in her bonnet that you could uh, get sent down for life for uh, raping and murdering a child, and then eight and a half years later be back out living in the community with your privacy. Um, there was a, a statute, a law, that made it... Um, you, you had your privacy. You were entitled to that. So yeah. she thought it was uh, unfair, so we were... Journalists like me at the time, I think I was just an ordinary reporter, were forever being sent to prisons in Bedford and the Isle of Wight uh, with a surveillance van and a motorbike. And we would follow these people uh, when they got out of prison and find out where they were living. And then about, um, oh, I think at the time of Roy Whiting and uh, the little girl who was tragically... um, You know, they need to go into the details. Yes, we know, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, she just said, well, let's name and shame the lot of them. And it was a very difficult thing to do. She said, I want 50 paedophiles who have all either raped or murdered children and who have just been let out of jail, and I want to publish all of them. And, uh, it, well, basically, I mean, it, it was virtually impossible task because they were all living in, in secret. Uh, so uh, it was given to me, you know, and I've been severely criticised by the Leveson report for phone hacking and blagging and lying and cheating in, you know, search of the truth. But in this case, I just... Um, we tried for a couple of weeks to do it, and then I ended up blagging the Boy Scout movement, who have a database which has a list of all the convicted paedophiles. No-one else had it apart from the police, and they weren't giving it to us. So uh, with a bit of, you know, phone hacking and blagging skill, uh, I... <laughs> you know, swiped 50 names of these paedophiles and their pictures from the Boy Scout movement. Uh, and then we published them under the guise of naming and shaming. And then, uh, with the help of Sarah, uh, we, um, sorry, the mother, uh, we pushed for Sarah's law to be passed, as there was a similar law in America. And it is, with considerable joy, I, I feel vindicated. I mean, I've said for years, there's nothing wrong in the public interest, hacking someone's phone, going through their bank accounts, if, because, you know, some people are just fundamentally nasty people. And there really is, on some occasions, no one to police uh, the people who are protected by bad laws. And I think it was a very bad law that allowed someone who'd been convicted, given a life sentence, to get out, A, so quickly, and B, then to remain uh, in... in have a private life uh, 
which might entail him living next door to a school. I mean, a number of times I was sent with my surveillance van to catch these people who had only just got out of prison hanging around the school gates. I mean, I have a number of pictures like that. And so there really did, this was a very bad law. And I said at the time, I think, you know, privacy is the pedos. Privacy is the, the space that bad people need to do bad things in. And there are some people, Paul, who, who, who might say that, that your article, which I, I remember it very well, which, which named and, and shamed and, and had photographs, was actually a little bit dangerous because it could have led, well, it could have prevented um, people's rehabilitation uh, and it could have led to, to lynch mobs. Were you not worried about that at all? Well, it did. There, there were riots around the country after that. And again, I was criticised because a paediatrician got beaten up. Uh, people confusing a child doctor, paediatrician with paedophile. Yeah. Um, so, yes, it, it did have a huge impact. And at one point, uh, I was quite proud that the power of the pen had... It, you know, Encouraged really mobs to go and beat up a paediatrician. Well, I wasn't proud of that. I was proud that you could actually mobilise uh, public opinion when uh, a law was unjust and bad. Um, yes, all right, uh, if you say this is your crime, you have raped and you have murdered your child, and you will get out in eight and a half to nine years, if that's what society thinks a decent punishment is, then fair enough. But then what about if they're put in a council block where you live with your young family? And I'm sad to say that these people need to be housed, and often they are left up to the council to house. And most council estates, about 90% of council estates in Britain, will have a really nasty, evil man. And I think pe people should possibly know where these people live. Paul, but isn't language like that, and of course, listen, we want to protect our kids, of course we do, I'm a dad of two, and I would, would hate to think of anything like that happening, but isn't, isn't language like the, what you're using now, isn't that kind of... Uh, causing panic and fear where there doesn't need to be uh, you're making it sound like that there's a there's, a there's a pedo in every you know in every other flat and that we can't let our kids out because they're going to get abducted and raped and murdered it, it, it happens and it's horrible that it happens it doesn't yeah. happen as often as perhaps people are led to believe no it doesn't but uh i am overjoyed that um you know some you know hardcore investigative journalism may have actually saved 42 children from being um, abused or corrupted. I mean, surely that is a good, fundamentally good thing. Oh, that's a great thing. Oh, that's a great thing. I, I do worry slightly about the, the lynch mobs and, and the, 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 you know, people roaming the streets and things like that, beating people up. That, that mean, concerns why, me. Why does a paedophile deserve his privacy? I mean... For the chance... Well, I, I, I just don't... Th I, I personally don't think that exposing them with photos and their names and where they live is necessarily the, the right thing to do. It's not particularly helpful, is it? But in reality, in the real world, the number of times that you stick a surveillance van outside their house and you catch them talking to children. I mean, it's not... There may be rehabilitation. You catch them talking I, to children, you don't catch them having sex with children. Well, no, indeed, but, I mean, if someone had raped and murdered a child ten years ago, would you particularly want him to...
talk to your four or five uh, year It's a good man. point. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be particularly keen on that at all. But also, I, I wouldn't want there to be, um, you know, lynch mobs chasing down. We're going off on a slight tangent because Sarah's law is in place and obviously it, it is working. The, the law in America that it, it's sort of based on is, is Megan's law, which is, it goes a little bit further, doesn't it? It, it, it allows yeah. you to find out if there's a paedophile living next door to you. W- would you like to see that kind of happen over here? I'd have to say yes, but um, it, it, it is a difficult one. I mean, it's, you know, it's shades of grey. It's not a black and white issue. I mean, fundamentally, where do you put them? I mean, do you keep a paedophile in who's been sentenced to life? Maybe you keep them in prison for life. Maybe that is a better way forward. Mm. At the moment, the justice system says, you murder someone, uh, you get out in about eight and a half to nine years. And I know that because I've sat outside the prisons and watched the people walk out and then go shopping and do ordinary things. And but shouldn't they be allowed to do... Shouldn't people be allowed to do ordinary things if they're going to be rehabilitated? Yes. I'm just um, asking the question. It's not necessarily what yeah. I think, Paul. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, I know. I mean, when we named and shamed, uh, Rebecca Brooks was very specific. She said, I-, I want people who have done really bad things. I mean, I don't just want someone who's, you know, got a, a very minor mm. inde- indecent assault against them. Uh, I want, you know, severe criminals that we should rightly be frightened of i mean uh i don't think roy whiting's been let out yet but i'm sure that well most people would hopefully recognize him but um i'm sure everyone would want to know where he mm. is and then what do you do because clearly people are just going to go around and beat him up so yes paul i appreciate you coming on and i appreciate your honesty thank you very much there's Paul McMullen there, he's a former journalist uh, from the, the newspaper that started that campaign. Uh, that was honest, wasn't it? That was uh, was uh, open and revealing. What do you think? 08459 455 555. Well, later on, after nine, Jonathan Vernon Smith will be asking, do paedophiles deserve their privacy? Or privacy? That's it, isn't it? Yes, we're not in America. Thank you. 08459 455 555. It really annoys me, Jonathan. <laughs> It really annoying. Sorry, we're having a chat about... He, he, he's come in. Uh, <laughs> and you smell you smell delicious again. A different scent today. That, yes, I, this morning, do you know, as yeah. I was giving myself my morning spritz, I thought, I'm going to wear something a bit different just for Ian. Oh, thank you very much. Isn't indeed. that nice? And you were saying that this is unisex, and you said, oh, you, it could, is, you yeah. could get it for... You could use it, and your wife could use it. Well, I don't need to, because she... Oh, it's got a big waft of it there. It's lovely. She um, uses my aftershave anyway. And I, I use, I get men's aftershave, what with me being well, a yeah, man. Yeah, it's quite, quite manly, the one you use. Marc Jacobs, Prada. Oh. And she gives herself a spritz for that. Doesn't she smell like a bloke? Yeah. Oh. No, she does. <laughs> yeah, but she smells like a nice bloke. She smells like, she smells like a sensitive bloke. Doesn't smell, you know, doesn't smell, she smells like a sensitive man. Right? Does she, right. And it really annoys me, because I, the Prada one is expensive, and I'm not really one for posh aftershaves, but someone sprayed it on me in a shop. You know when they do mm. that spray, it's like, get off. They sprayed it on me, I was instantly smitten. I was like, oh, this is, I want to smell like this for the rest of my life, and I bought it. Mm. But she, uh, uh, we're sleeping in separate rooms, because I do this show, so I sleep in the spare room, she sleeps in the, the, the you know, it, it just, lifestyle's different. In the weekends, I'm allowed back into the bedroom. At the weekend, I thought, oh, I'm going to go and get a little bit of my eye. It's empty! 
and there was definitely some in there. <laughs> and I said, have you used it? it? I said, have you used it? She went, no. I said, no, I know you're lying, <laughs> because recently she threw away some rechargeable batteries that she thought, well, she just threw them away. And I said, did you throw them away? No. A month later, she confessed. In a month's time, she's going to confess that she used this aftershave. Right. And it really annoys me. Why don't you buy her some, some feminine perfume? Huh? Why don't you buy her some, and then she, can, then she won't have to mm. use yours? No? It's quite expensive. Really? Yeah. There was a young lady in home base the other day, and as she was scanning my uh, my light bulbs, I said, you smell delicious. Yeah. I can't remember what she said it was, but I can go back and ask her if you want. Would you mind going back to home base and asking the girl on the counter what she yes. wears? I'll ask her, and you can get your wife that for Christmas. Fantastic. Very, she smelled very nice. Oh, lovely. Well, I'll, I'll look into that. It's good. I need to go. I should probably get her a present, shouldn't I, this year? Yeah, yeah. might be a nice idea. Uh, now, listen, you've got some uh, I- I- serious stuff coming up on your show this morning. What are you talking yes, about? Yes, I've been very interested in the discussions you've been having this morning, particularly your last discussion. That was uh, fascinating. Mr Mulcair, the, the journalist. Indeed. Yes. Um, he said something that, that, uh, that really engaged me. He was saying that paedophiles don't deserve their privacy. Mm. Well, from nine this morning, I want to hear from you. Do paedophiles deserve their privacy? Figures obtained by BBC Three Counties Radio show there have been 266 applications across beds, hearts and bucks for information under Sarah's law since it came into force. This allows parents to ask police if someone with regular, unsupervised access to their children has a record for child sex offences. And as a result of these applications, police have informed 42 families here that their children are at risk. But as he was saying, if someone's been in prison, you know, let's say that they have been convicted of some kind of child sex offence, mm. they've been sent to prison, they have been given a sentence for a period of time, yeah. and if we are, and we're supposed to have faith, aren't we, in our, in our criminal justice mm. system, then you would hope that they'd go into prison, they would be rehabilitated and would come out mm. and would no longer pose a threat. Yeah. So we don't do the same with burglars, do we? We don't say, oh, yes, well, you have to be told if there's a burglar living next door to you, um, somebody you burgled 20 years ago, should it be any different? Do paedophiles deserve their privacy? From nine this morning, I want to hear your views. 08459 455 555. It was Paul McMullen we just had on. I, I got the name wrong. Uh, uh, and it's interesting, because I don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer. I, I, you know, I'm, I kind of think, hey, listen, everyone should be given a second chance of rehabilitation. There is an argument that if it's a sexual a crime of a sexual nature, that perhaps it's so ingrained, you can't be rehabilitated. You know, it's, it, it, that you can't be rehabilitated from being a heterosexual. You know, it's, it's, it's ingrained within you. I don't, don't they know. also say, though, that most instances of, of child molestation, yep. they happen within a family within or someone family. that the family knows. Yeah. So, of course, there is always the risk with this kind of thing that you say, oh, the bloke who lives next door is a bit of a weirdo, so I'm going to find out, is he a former paedophile? Mm. So you're so busy looking at the bloke next door who probably never comes into contact with your children at all, he just happens to live over on the other side of the fence, yeah. that perhaps you then take your eye off the ball and perhaps it's people closer to home you should be looking out mm. for. I don't know. We'll discuss it from nine this morning. It's very interesting. Uh, JVS show at bbc.co.uk if they want to email you. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Very, very nice. I shall see you later on. I'll go back to home base this afternoon. Would you mind? I'll get that woman to tell me. Do you mind buying it for me as well? Buy it for you? Well, yeah. Well, are you going to pay me back? Uh, it's up for debate. <laughs> on FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, that's reminded me. Oh, you some money. Not you, dear listener. I was pointing to uh, my producer, Laura, over some money there. Uh, now, there's been, come on, there's been a distinct lack of carol singers doing the rounds across beds, hearts and bucks. I've been asking you this morning, if you've had carol singers knocking on your door in the last five years to give me a call, 
We've had zero calls on it. They're dead. It's a dying breed. No one does it door to door. Well, to try and rectify this, we sent Justin Dealey into Luton with a group of our own carol singers. Uh, let's see, Justin, uh, whereabouts are... Ian, good morning. You well? Oh, for goodness sake, you're an embarrassment to this station. <laughs> you're going you. to get us taken off air. Well, we are just spreading the love this morning. Oh, yeah, please Luton don't. train station. So you're at Luton train station. Who have you got with you and what's going we on? We have Hildia, Grace and Corrine. They are from Voices with Soul, local group. They shot to fame on The X Factor back in 2004. They have got fabulous voices. Ladies, good morning once again. Good Blimey, please warn me they're going to do that. I can make... Oh, dear. Well and truly up for it this morning. As you mentioned, not many carol singers around, so we're trying to to spread a bit of love here at Luton Train Station. Ladies, you're about to sing another carol for us. Take it away. Ding dong merrily on high In heaven the bells are ringing Ding dong merrily the sky Is risen with angels singing Gloria, Hosanna in excelsis, Gloria, Hosanna in excelsis. Wow, round of applause. Justin, what reaction are you getting there from people? Are they walking by, looking at the ground a bit embarrassed, or are they coming up and enjoying it? No, they are genuinely enjoying it. Here's Hannah. Hannah, after listening to that, you must be in the Christmas spirit now. You enjoyed that, didn't you? Definitely, it was wonderful. Mm. You don't often see carol singers now, do you? No, they don't come around anymore. Why do you think that is? Security, I would think, for everybody going around the doors and whatnot, I would think. I mean, how would you feel if voices were sold, turned up at your door? Oh, that would be lovely. Yeah. That would be lovely. <laughs> You'd love it, wouldn't you? Teresa, your views on Voices of a Soul? Um, I think it's lovely. It, you know, we should um, get more in the Christmas spirit you know, and see more uh, activities going on in the town. Brilliant stuff. And June, after hearing that, are you in the Christmas spirit? Yeah, definitely. They've put anybody in the spirit at them three. <laughs> <laughs> they are wonderful. And a quick word here with, with Ian as well. Ian... Yep. This morning, well, no, they've got a different Ian. It gets all confusing oh, oh, now. Blimey, and Ian okay. here at Luton Train Station. Ian, um, a lot of people probably haven't quite got themselves in the spirit yet. Um, what did you make of, of the girls there? Very good, actually. Excellent. Yeah. This time of the morning. Because <laughs> <laughs> when we turned up this morning, we said, we have some carol singers. Can we park out the front? They said, carol singers? Of course you can park out the front. Everyone is smiling when they hear the girls sing. They're excellent. Very yeah. good. What are they going to do next? Well, I don't know. We'll go and find out. Have a Merry Christmas. Well, hang on, hang on. Whoa, whoa, Justin. Mm. It's not what they're going to do next. It's what you're going to do next. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm still warming up. How about you come back to me at ten to nine? How long have we got left here But before the travel news? A couple of minutes? We've got plenty of time, yeah. yeah. OK, can we have one more, girls? One go on, more yeah, girls? please. OK, take it away. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings we bring to you and your king. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Beautiful. Yeah, give yourselves a round of applause. 
Oh, this is a song. Live on Three Counters Radio. How great was that, Ian? Wonderful. Pictures are up on Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. And Dealey, you're not getting away with it. I want to hear you walking in the air later. I'll tell you what, I'll do this, okay? Let's do the first two lines. Okay. Okay. We we will have a carol off at 10 to 9. I'm kind of dictating what's on your show here. (laughs) You you go for it. I've got no idea. It doesn't matter. So 10 to 9, we'll have a carol off. And uh, yeah, walking in the air, well up for it. Sounds like a challenge. Justin Dealey's at Luton Station. If you're nearby, you've got another 30 minutes or so, go down there and request a song. Aren't they fantastic? Huh? I mean, I can sing. I'm a pretty good singer. I'm not quite as good as that, but I've, I've uh, you know, I can certainly have a go. I just don't like to flout my talent too much, but we, I will be having a, a, a carol off with Dealey later on. If you want to have a uh, look at pictures of the ladies, you can go to Facebook. I don't know why I said ladies like a, some sort of ladies. Uh, then you can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. And I'm, I, I'm getting a little bit worried. I'm, I'm kind of being told... The, the, the head of the blooming handball team is going to come on the show in a little bit. This is after the whole morning of me saying, yeah, handball's not a sport. Well, the fellow that's in charge of the team is coming on and is going to put me in my place, which I'm a little bit worried about. Bobby White. I should, of course, remember, Bobby White is from Milton Keynes. Team GB handball captain. He's a bit annoyed. Saw me on Twitter, he's been listening. He's going to come on the show in a little bit. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not nervous. We can sort this out. Don't laugh in there. Don't laugh at me. I've said that handball is not a sport, and I will stand up to that, and I will... Oh, what have I done? In my big mouth, think before you speak, Lee. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Last 30 minutes of the show before JVS at nine. Coming up in the next half an hour, should pubs and clubs ban glass bottles? We'll find out why a Milton Keynes woman whose son was glassed in the face has taken her campaign to Downing Street to try and make it happen. Oh dear, I've upset someone. Bobby White from Milton Keynes, he's the captain of the men's handball side. He heard me saying that handball wasn't a real sport. He's coming on the show before nine o'clock. The BBC in beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, a Milton Keynes woman whose son was glassed in the face has taken her campaign to Downing Street to stop pubs and clubs using glass. Blake Golding from Newport Pagnell lost four pints of blood and needed 40 stitches after being attacked on Christmas Eve in 2004 whilst he was working. Well, more than 100,000 people have backed a petition, which means the issue could be debated in Parliament. Blake's mum, Marjorie, joins me on the line now. Morning, Marjorie. Good morning. Tell tell me the story. What happened to Blake? Uh, He was working in Milton Keynes. Uh, It was uh, Christmas Eve 2004. He went to the aid of a female colleague who had been attacked with a glass bottle. Luckily, it didn't break on her, but unfortunately, it did on Blake. Um, and he ended up fighting for his life that night. Um, so that's why we launched the POP campaign in 2005. Four pints of blood. That's Four inc- pints of blood. That's incredible. How, uh, how close was it to, 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 to him dying, I guess? Um, the last, uh, it was a sustained attack, so he, uh, he was hit several times with the bottle. The last wound that he received was half an inch from his jugular. Had that have hit his jugular, I would be telling a completely mm. different story, because he would have bled to death in two minutes. As a mum, well, how did you find out? Did you get a phone call? What, what, what happened? And as a mum, how did you feel hearing about your boy being attacked like that? Uh, it's the worst possible phone call that any parent could ever receive. Um, we, we were phoned, we beat the ambulance up to the hospital. Wow. Uh, we had to wait 40 minutes before we were allowed to go in and see him. How uh, frustrating. 
yeah. We could see him very quickly. They were fighting to save his life. Yeah. Uh, he then went into surgery, um, and, and the, the rest you know. We yeah. launched the POP campaign afterwards. So what exactly are you trying to, to achieve, Marjorie? What are you trying to get rid of? Is it, is it pint glasses? Is it bottles? What, what is it? It is glass full stop. Right. Um, what we are looking for is not a blanket ban. We are looking at designated zones to replace glass bottles with PET bottles and glasses with polycarbonate glasses. And we are looking at late night clubs and uh, late night bars that are open till two and three in the morning with, with a young clientele. And there shouldn't be a problem, because I've been in loads of places where they, they do that already. If you go to music venues, they won't let you have glass. It's all, it's all plastic beer bottles or, or, or plastic glasses. So is there a stumbling block? Are there people who are saying, oh, no, we can't, we can't really be doing this? Uh, there, there does seem to be a stumbling block, unfortunately. Uh, it seems to be a no-brainer to us. Um, the PET bottles at the moment are slightly more expensive than buying in glass. Um, but, you know, as there is a demand for them, the price will come down, it will become cheaper. And as for the polycarbonate glasses, they are cost-neutral. They cost a little bit more to buy in the first instance, but they have a greater longevity than glass, so uh, you're not replacing them constantly. Do you think the public will be happy to pay extra for this? Um, I think they will. I mean, if you're talking for an extra, what, 5, 10p maybe for your night out every time you go to the bar and get yourself a drink, I don't think it would make the slightest bit of difference to, to the customers. Uh, and this has been raised before in Prime Minister's questions. What, what happened yesterday at Downing Street? We handed in a petition yesterday uh, of 115,000 signatures, uh, which is still rising currently. Uh, afterwards, we had a meeting at the Home Office with Jeremy Bowne, the, the Minister for Crime, we took with us three police officers, one from Northampton, two from Hull, um, also our MP, Mark Lancaster, who supported us from, from day one. Uh, I think that they're going to look into it very seriously, hopefully, um, and I will keep pushing, and I've asked for a debate in Parliament, and I've said I do want a response. Marjorie, listen, thank you very much for coming on. We'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch with you, if that's OK, and follow this story. Yeah, thank you very much. Have a good Christmas. And you. There thank we go. That's uh, Marjorie Golding. The mother of Blake, who was um, uh, Christmas Eve 2004. Imagine getting that phone call. Yeah, your son, he's been glassed. He's, he, he, he might not make it. Wow, I can't even begin to imagine what that was like. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Now, if you've travelled on First Capital Connect in Hertfordshire over the last 48 hours, you may have experienced problems. Repair work went on through the night on the East Coast Main Line between Stevenage and Hitchin in a bid to restore a normal service this morning. Overhead line problems were first reported on Monday afternoon but failed again yesterday. Larry Heyman, the Integration and Partnership Manager from First Capital Connect, joins me now. Morning, Larry. Hello, good morning. What was the cause of this? Well, um, unfortunately, the overhead power lines, um, which are the essential means of uh, getting power to our trains, um, came down um, originally um, on Monday afternoon. Uh, Network Rail uh, engineers worked throughout Monday night to uh, repair them. And uh, as Robin Gisby, their uh, director, said yesterday, unfortunately, uh, the job wasn't done as it should have been. And the first train through yesterday morning brought them down again. So um, it was a horrendous day for um, our passengers, for which we apologise sincerely. Uh, the good news is that um, when we were able to start running through from early this morning, everything has held up, so we're gradually getting back to normal now. 
There uh, were, were some problems yesterday, weren't there, with getting buses to, to, to help people and pick them up. W- why was that? Uh, unfortunately, um, when you try to get buses, inevitably coming up to the um, time when uh, children are trying to get to school, most uh, spare coaches are tied up with school runs. So uh, there was a conflict there. Um, clearly, if we'd known that the overhead wires weren't going to work, then we would have had the coaches lined up in advance. And in fact, what we did last night is that we booked coaches for this morning uh, just in case there was a further failure. So um, it was a real issue. It took about an hour and a half in some cases between the time we ordered buses and coaches and the time they actually turned up at the stations. How are the trains running this morning, Larry? Are they back to normal now? Um, not on the GN route, um, insofar as there was a lot of rolling stock that had been replaced, uh, to, sorry, displaced. So um, we have... So that means tra- trains were basically stuck at the wrong, wrong they, place? Yeah, they were the wrong side. Uh, they were on the London side of um, the Hitchin Junction. So rather than being able to come down from uh, Cambridge and King's Lynn, uh, they were down in Hornsey. Um, at our depot there. So we have got a few short forms and just a very few cancellations. That should all be sorted out by mid-morning today and we're expected to run a full service this evening. Uh, uh, Can anyone claim compensation if if their journeys were were messed up? Absolutely. Uh, We would encourage people to uh, claim compensation. Anybody who's had a delay of 30 minutes or more uh, is entitled to compensation and uh, full details are on our website. Now, I notice you've been been tweeting like crazy. I don't know if it's you necessarily, Larry, that's been doing it personally from your Twitter account, Uh, but the the, the company has been tweeting uh, like crazy. How else can people find out information if they're not on Twitter? Uh, best thing, if they can, is to go onto our website. Uh, we've uh, worked very, very hard to keep that up to date. Um, uh, although I have to say yesterday morning it was difficult because the situation was changing by the minute. Um, and uh, other than that, it's the National Rail Inquiries uh, number, uh, 0845 Larry, fingers crossed it all uh, goes back according to plan. That's Larry Heyman, uh, who is the Integration and Partnership Manager from First Capital Connect. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, I'm so disappointed. We're going to go to Justin Daly a little bit later on, just before the end of the show, and we're going to get him to sing um, The Snowman. And I'll, I'll give it a burst. I've got a fantastic voice. You're going to spot it. But uh, do you remember a couple of days ago, we talked about Meltman. I said Meltman were extinct... Loads of phone calls, loads of tweets, loads of Facebooks. Uh, and it turns out Meltman are, are alive and kicking. Not kicking, that would be inappropriate, and they would probably lose their job if they kicked someone. But I mentioned this morning, oh, no one gets um, carol singers knocking on their door anymore. And I was kind of hoping it would, it would provo- provoke a similar outrage, and people would call and go, well, no, you're wrong, you see. We had some carol singers just last night, or we went carol singing door-to-door the other day to raise money for a hospice. But no, no one's been in touch. The door-to-door traditional carol singer is no longer with us. It's over. It's finished. I'm so sad by that. It used to freak me out a little bit, people singing on my doorstep. It's a weird thing, isn't it? You open the doorstep, and I mentioned earlier on, I'd opened the door once, and it was one lad... One lad just singing to me. He did three songs. Oh, it was embarrassing. It was there for literally about six, seven minutes. And we're just looking at each other, both thinking, oh, please, make this stop. You don't want to be doing this. I don't want I'll give you a fiver. Just go away. But the, the, the carol singer standing there, it doesn't happen anymore. It's so sad. Maybe you want to go and do it. Maybe we've inspired you to set up 
your own little carol singing group. Go door to door. If we have, that'll be wonderful. If you want to see some pictures of the carol singers that uh, J- Justin Dealey is out with this morning, he's at Luton train station. We'll be there for another 10, 15 minutes. Go to facebook.com uh, forward slash BBC 3CR uh, and you can have a look and you'll, you'll see um, the, the women who are doing a fantastic job there. Uh, I've been slagging off sports as well. I said that handball's not a sport, badminton, slow tennis is not a sport, and ping pong, tiny tennis for babies. Colin Abrams on the Facebook page. Come and play table tennis before you criticise it. It takes a lot of skill and practice to return a ball that can cover a short distance at over 50 miles per hour. How quick are your reactions, Mr Lee? An angry local player, I will invite you to my local club when we reopen after Christmas break. So you're not a proper sportsman, Colin. If you're a proper sportsman, you'd be playing throughout Christmas every day. It's a hobby. It's a game. It's not a sport. Badminton, slow tennis, says Pamela. I don't think so. You obviously didn't watch these sports in the Olympics, or you'd have seen these are definitely sports. They're not sports. They're just games. If these sports are included in the Olympics, then they should get funded. Simples, said Desmond. All these sports, should they win any medals in Rio, should snub any UK sport parties on the return. It's like local councils not giving a doodah about local footy teams. Then when they win, uh, they can't wait to host a party for them. Alan says, can you define sport? If it takes a lot of training and a great deal of skill to compete at high level, then it's a sport. Badminton qualifies. No, no, not at all. It takes, it takes a lot of training and a great deal of skill to be able to do wheelies on a BMX. It's not a sport. Walking is not a sport. People think that walking is a sport. How, how is walking a sport? It's walking. Well, hopefully we're going to be speaking to the Team GB handball captain. Oh, we can't get hold of him. Oh, maybe he's he's realised that he's uh, well. I'm hoping he's a good sport and he'll take everything I've said in the spirit it was intended. Carol singing. Deb in Wadden says we're Carol singing around Wadden tonight. We often have brass accompaniment. Do you go door to door, Deb? That's the question. Do you go door to door? Someone who's not shy to go door to door. The end of it. Daily. Hello, Ian. Sorry, sorry, you, sorry. Were you busy? You having a <laughs> chat there? <laughs> having a chat. Yes. Uh, who, are you, who are you talking to? Anyway, uh, anyone? Well, lots of people have been turning up this morning at Luton train station. It's all go down here. Sorry it's all to go. put you on the spot, but yeah. uh, the, the captain of Team GB's uh, handball team. Mm. Uh, we can't get hold of him. He was going to come on there and take me to tasks. I yes. said that handball isn't a real sport. Oh, we can't get hold of him. <laughs> oh, are you saying he's scared of you? Oh, I'm saying he might be, Daily. Yes, he might yes, be. Yes, might be. JD, what's going on? Uh, yes, we're live at Luton train station. We're here with Voices with Soul. The three girls have been absolutely brilliant all morning. Hildia, Grace and Corinne. Uh, people might remember them from the X Factor back in 2004 and they went all the way to the finals there. Very unlucky not to go all the way. Ladies, welcome back. You're live on Breakfast. Hi! <laughs> You've been absolutely brilliant this morning. It's freezing cold. We really appreciate you coming out yeah, for us. Singing a few Christmas carols for us because everyone's been saying this morning nobody sings Christmas carols anymore. How, how disappointing is that? That is really, really disappointing. Mm. So, ladies, take it away. Your next and final carol. Okay. Long time ago in Bethlehem, so the Holy Bible says, Mary's boy child, Jesus Christ, was born on Christmas Day. Oh, now hear the angels sing A new king born today And man will live forevermore Because of Christmas Day Trumpets sound, the angels sing Listen to what 
Yes. Oh, yeah. That was wonderful. Lord. Although, Justin, <laughs> Justin, to call Boney M a Christmas carol, I think, is stretching it <laughs> a little bit. Great. On Friday's show, can mm. you can sort this out for me? I want Boney M. The song. We don't want the group. Yeah. And uh, the Johnny Mathis, When a Child is Born. Oh, I played Johnny Mathis on Saturday. Is, he's great. great Johnny great Mathis, is. right, is a brilliant, brilliant singer. He's done some cracking songs. He's completely overlooked in the, in the great scheme mm, of I musical history. Agree. Boney M and Johnny Mathis on the show on Friday, please. Absolutely. Now to our carol. Yes. Funny enough, we had a, a load of workmen that stopped what they were doing a moment ago to listen to Voices with Soul. They also have their own vocal academy, so they're doing very, very well. We're going to have a carol off. You've been talking about this all morning. Yes. Walking on air. You know, Peter Orty slash Ali Jones. Yep. Peter's the main man. Hey, Ali Jones didn't one. sing it. Well, he didn't have the hit with it, and no. everyone thinks he did. You know, a- Ali Jones, he wasn't involved in The Snowman. He has the hit record, and Peter Orty, well, where is he now? I can't track him down. Exactly. Anyway, so we have two lines from the song. Let's not get too carried away this morning. Yep. We're to keep yep. our listeners. Okay. So, uh, a couple of lines. <clears throat> We're walking in the air. We're floating in the midnight sky. I know the words. Yeah. Oh, you do? Of course you I know the words. Did <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm an idiot? <laughs> right. got well, no Hildy soul. here. Hildy's going to be the judge of this character. Right. Are you up for this, Hildia? Absolutely. Right, okay. Ian, shall I go first? You take it away, fella. Okay. We're walking in the air. We're floating in the midnight sky. Ian, over to you. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, right, I know that you genuinely think that's brilliant. Oh, that's you doing good, your yeah. best. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> this is it. This is it. Come on. Who's it? What's the name of the lady judging us? It's Hildia. Hildia? This yes. is good. Get ready. This is, this is going to blow your mind. Here we okay. Go. <clears throat> We're walking in the air. We're floating in the moonlit sky. Wow. Hey, wow. hey, wow. that wasn't bad, was it? That even, even, wasn't bad. That's not bad. Wait a second, here. Hang on, we've got some more judges coming out. Well, what did you make of that? I thought that was absolutely <laughs> rubbish. What? <laughs> Ian's version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. your one was better. Yeah, but, uh, I think Ian was better. Fantastic. Fantastic. Who's that drunk woman chattering away in the background talking Grace. nonsense? That was great. Grace, you're, you're fired. Next. You're fired, Grace. <laughs> Next. Oh, sorry, Ian. Yes. A lot of technology involved yeah, in that, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? And, and he was raw. He was raw. Sorry? Yeah, I, I was raw. That, that's yeah. the rumour going around, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you've been into a studio, tweaking with the knobs. Listen, I'm the real deal. I put a little bit, a tiny little bit of reverb on my voice. No. Yes, that's all that's I did. Right, because you cheat. Okay, well, Justin, it's been, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank get you. Get me those Christmas songs. Go, 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 can we get another quick one from the girls? Yeah. Very quickly, quick, 30 quick, seconds. Quick okay, uh, 30 seconds, okay. 30 seconds, um... We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings we bring to you and your King. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy yes. New Year. Come on. You nearly said vodka then, <laughs> and it sounds like it. Girls, you were brilliant. Justin, that was wonderful. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Excellent stuff indeed. Wasn't that fun? Wasn't that great? And I was definitely the best singer. Can you see I'm stalling because I don't want to do this next bit now? I don't want to do the next bit. <clears throat> but I will do because uh, I'm, I'm a man. UK Sport have removed funding for Hamble, and Team GB Hamble captain Bobby White, who is from Milton Keynes, says being disappointed is an understatement. Now, all morning, I have been saying that ping pong, slow tennis, a.k.a. badminton, <clears throat> and handball are not sports. Well, Bobby White, the captain of the men's handball side from Milton Keynes, is on the line now. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning. 
<clears throat> I'm really sorry for saying it's not sport. Listen, that, that's fine. You know, people are well entitled to their, to their opinions. Um, you know, it, it's up to us to try and change that. It is up to you, and well done you for being a good sport and taking it in the spirit it was intended. Uh, <laughs> th- let's let's we'll get to the dis- the fight in a minute. You, you, the funding's been cut. I, I heard yesterday it was going to be doubled. What happened? Uh, I have no idea. We've been given. Uh, oh, you might be referring to the Sport England funding that we uh, had, for right? Yes, roots, which was announced on Monday, which okay. is fantastic. I work for the England Handball Association, right? And, that, and we're absolutely delighted with that news. Yep. However, with there being no elite funding in in, uh, in place, what we now have is a huge gap to fill for the aspiring athletes. You know, this this next generation that have hopefully been inspired and to continue with handball, where actually are they aspiring to? So this, the, the funding that's been cut, Bobby, how is that going to affect you? Uh, it affects me because, uh, you know, the last four, well, the last four or five years in training for the Olympics, uh, we didn't have a great amount of funding, but what was covered were things like my flights to and from uh, training camps, to and from um, European Championship qualifiers that we've got in April, stuff like that. Well, now I haven't got any of that, and I've had to fork out of my own pocket last time round in, in October, and a lot of the lads from the Olympic team have had to actually step out of the squad because they literally can't afford to keep on going. The it, amount of sacrifice that we put into London 2012 has left a lot of us in bad shape financially. Well, so it, it, does, it, it does seem odd, doesn't it, Bobby, that where everyone is pa- uh, patting themselves on the back because the Olympics... Listen, I'm not a sports fan, but even I loved the Olympics, and everyone's patting yeah. themselves on the back because the Olympics were such a success. We did so well as, as Team GB. Sports Personality of the Year, Seb Coe gets a Lifetime Achievement Award, and then, kind of behind the scenes, loads of funding's getting slashed. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's a shame. I mean, and people will argue that it's the sports that haven't delivered. And, you know, and I'll hold my hands up and say that, you know, we, we didn't deliver on, on the stage and neither did basketball, neither did volleyball. However, um, you know, the, the premise of the Olympic Games and, you know, the, the whole tagline was inspire a generation and uh, promises of legacy. And Hamble has not had a foothold in this country ever. But now it's all of a sudden getting some exposure and, and people are falling in love with it. There's going to be an 86% increase in participation over the next year. Um, but there's going to be no future. So what, you know, how, how, how do you explain to the kids that you know, they've got nothing to, to work towards? And um, you know, I'm all for cycling and rowing, but they've all got infrastructure in place. Uh, so you know, 30 million for me is, is, a, is far too great a sum put a little bit back into the, the developing sports. It is, it's, it's the, you're right, it's the word legacy. We were promised the legacy and it would seem that, that that's not happening. And one of the great things about the Olympics is it did bring kind of minority sports to the fore. Although, Bobby, come on, standing there, chucking a ball at someone, it's not a sport, is it? Uh, if you phrase it like that, maybe not, but it's actually, um, you know, six lads on, on court and one goalkeeper fighting like a rugby match, trying to trying to break through gaps and getting smashed and then throwing the ball in excess of 100 miles an hour. Oh, blimey. The goal, so, now, Bobby, you know, stay there, because Bo- Paul, Paul, you were talking to me on Twitter, weren't you? Yes, I was. You, you play you've handball. Got goal- you've got two goalkeepers on the line here, Oh, mate, blimey. So. <laughs> Paul, you've invited me to come and have a little handball session with, with you and the lads. Yeah, I'd love, I'd love I, you to I was up along. for it until Bobby said that they chucked the ball at 100 miles an hour. I, I'm worried now. It's okay, it's okay, Ian. If you're not brave enough to go in goal, I'll oh. oh, oh, that is fighting talk. It's not a proper sport, Paul. I will see you in the new year, and I'll come yes, down brilliant. and I'll take your team on. Brilliant. Bobby, I, I, we might speak to you in the new year, to see, just if I'm still alive, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, lovely talking to you, Thank too. you for being a good sport, and uh, Paul, I will, we'll keep in touch. We'll sort that out, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll do that in the new year. I'm going to go and play handball. Listen, I'm not afraid. I ain't afraid of no ghost. I'll go and do it. Bobby White. Thank you. Paul, thanks very much. For those who missed it earlier on, here's another blast. <clears throat> We're walking in the air. 